Melanie Ake. Hello and welcome to the Global Virtual Panel of Human Trafficking Survivors. Today we are coming to you, it is February the 26th, 2021. And we hope to bring awareness, education and advocacy to this very important topic. You will hear from several speakers today from around the globe and we hope to create resources for you. If you're watching, please, you can always put the chat to ask questions and there will also be survivor Facebook groups after this event. So please stay tuned. This is a great program. I am Melanie Ake. I'm the founder of Everyday Leaders. I am the MC host for today, and I'm passionate about leadership and bringing valuable, important topics to light. The host of this event, Gigi Sabat, Reginald Gigi Sabat, she is a first-generation Haitian-American motivational speaker, author, life coach, founder of Life Service Center of America, LLC, and bringing people together all over the world to create this empowering information. I'd like to start off today's event with a poem. This was a poem by Savannah Branson, printed on April the 30th, 2014 and it's titled Stop Human Trafficking. It says, recruitment, transportation, exploitation. It's a never ending cycle. First they're taken, moved to wherever they're needed. Then they're beat until they're so vulnerable that gang leaders don't need to make sure they work. But this isn't just some product produced in a factory. It's a girl, it's a mother, a sister, a child, a person. Recruitment, transportation, exploitation. Two million people are sold into sex slavery each year. That's the number of people living in New Mexico. That's the number of people who could make a difference in the world and a large number of people seen only as a service, not as people or something with value, just something to use. Most of these sex slaves are women. Their captors break them down through humiliation and violence. And when their self-esteem is crushed and all hope is gone, force is no longer needed to control them. Recruitment, transportation, exploitation. Poverty is the incubator, and gangsters are the instigators. Parents trade their babies for money to buy food. Runaways are lured and sold away to places unknown. Alone, no language, no family, no life. Stolen furniture, lies, threats, false promises, debt bondage, manipulation, tools of recruitment. Fake visas, stolen passports make international transportation easy. Returning home is impossible. Recruitment, transportation, exploitation. Like a moth to a flame, it's a never-ending game, a game to escape the criminal rings of the world. Speak out and you may get burned. Say nothing and live in fear. While the problems are kept from being overturned, in this sick, sad world such as this, these people need some type of hope.
for education, ambition, and freedom. What a beautiful poem. I wanted to kick this off because I want to remind everyone that's watching, some of these panelists are sharing their stories for the first time. And it's so important that this is an opportunity for them to share, educate, and advocate. I would like to turn this to our first and our host, Regeline Gigi Sabat. Thank you so much for coordinating this and organizing this today. And thank you, Melanie Ake. I truly appreciate you for being the master of ceremonies today for our event. Now, hi everyone, welcome. First and foremost, thank you all for being here today. And thank you to our speakers and our sponsors. I truly appreciate you. My mission for this event is to help as many people as we can. It is important now more than ever to educate others in regards to human tra trafficking. Human trafficking happens to men and women. Human trafficking happens to all age groups, including children. For these reasons, this panel has both men and women. These men and women are more than their stories. Now at the end of this event, we encourage you to sign up for our human trafficking discussion group. The human trafficking discussion group is for all attendees of the global virtual panel of human trafficking survivors event today to continue to discuss human trafficking in a safe place after the event. Therefore, I am going to put this link in the chat now for all of you to join our discussion. And I'm also going to put the contact information for the National Human Trafficking Hotline. Thank you. And now I'm going to share my screen to play a human trafficking song. Some they choose to live with hate 
Thank you. And now I'll turn it back over to our master of ceremonies for our human trafficking event, Melanie Ake. Thank you, Gigi. Today we put a group of panelists together and we're honored to have a keynote speaker today, Cami Boker. Cami Boker is the founder and CEO of Global Education Philanthropist, heads up a world-class nonprofit organization that strategically fights human trafficking through education on a global scale. Global EPs reach to fight against child sex trafficking, including prevention and awareness campaigns, extraction support, advocating for victims, and reintegration for survivors to freedom and wholeness. Global EP provides resources worldwide to villages and communities to promote self-reliance, education, and empowerment. Cami's organization currently supports the fight against trafficking in the U.S., Haiti, Dominican Republic, Belize, Costa Rica, Cambodia, Thailand, and more. Cami believes prevention is better than cure, and education is the first step in putting an end to child sex trafficking. Cami is also the executive producer of a global documentary being released in 2021. Go globalep.org. Sign up as a volunteer and travel or serve. Cami, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Um, can you hear me okay? Yeah, You're kind of choppy on I am. So hopefully the streaming's okay. Gosh, I'm glad to see you guys. So thank you so much for having me. Um, I was Thank you, Gigi, for having this event. The panelists are, I mean, on top of the list of panelists, I know that there's more out there that are fighting this fight against traffic. But a lot of these panelists you guys will hear from today are phenomenal. I know and love many of them. And thank you for putting this together because prevention beats rescue every single time. And this event is doing just that. It's starting conversations that are difficult to have. Um, I'll just give you a brief uh, overview of what I do. Uh, my name is Cami Bowker, like it was mentioned. In our organization, we do, a whole, we do the whole array of human trafficking um, support. I started... Um, 
in a third world country and I now work in um, our in our country, rescuing kids, but also, and women, but also making sure that we have education that um, is missing. So I started in the country of Haiti and um, I learned that these kids didn't have what my students, I'm a school teacher and administrator. And I left my job as a school teacher to help um, with continuing the fight against child trafficking. So for the last five years, I've been on a really intense global research of what human trafficking is, what slavery is. Um, the kids in Haiti that I worked with had been trafficked. And when I learned that, I didn't understand what that meant. And so I've been on a research project to just find out who's doing the trafficking, why is it happening? And what I've learned is, yeah, when I found out about it, it was in Haiti and I'm in the US, what I've learned throughout my time in this anti-trafficking world is it's almost worse in the States than it is in a third world country far away. So um, thank you for that nice introduction. You touched on the point of our documentary that's coming out. What I realized is a lot of the information that's out there isn't really relevant anymore to what I'm seeing. So right now, or what's happening now, the tactics of traffickers is changing because the internet has changed everything. It's changed how we buy and sell people. It's changed how guns and weapons, organs are bought and sold. So I started in Haiti just as a teacher with my backpack thinking I'm I'm going to, you know, by myself, I'm going to go help kids. Well, fast forward to today, I'm a trained extraction specialist, a certified um, security, you know, licensed specialist, but I get called on frequently as a female on the team when it's time to get people out of a trafficking situation. In my organization, we make sure that the victim is taken care of. So while law enforcement's working on prosecution, hopefully, sometimes, you know, they never get prosecuted, um, but preserving evidence and things like that in the time of crisis, a lot of times I get called on as the female to come make sure the victim is safe and the victim feels love. So let me tell you what happened just this last Super Bowl weekend. We just got, we just had Super Bowl, right? I was able to take part in a 10 day sting operation and able to help get seven girls out of trafficking just in that area. There was multi-agencies working together and that was just a sliver of the women and children and men that we were able to help get away from their traffickers and into safety. People don't understand though, that once they, well, people on this panel do, but a misconception is that once you get out of trafficking or away from your trafficker, everything's fine. It's not, there's a lifelong um, support that's needed uh, that includes mental health, you know, support on how to provide for yourself and how to get a job and a successful career. So I work with organizations throughout the world. Um, while that thing was going on in Tampa, we were also orchestrating getting um, a gal out in Utah who was found being gang raped by 20 men and she's 15 years old. So while I was working on the ground with law enforcement, the human trafficking task force in Tampa and other organizations, I get a call from, you know, our extraction specialists up in Northern Utah telling me the situation and asking if we can do what Global EP does, which is come in, make sure the victim is okay and get them to long-term resources. So that's exactly what we did. We got her to an aftercare center, center in Southern Utah and we will never leave her. We will continue to stay with her and make sure that she finishes her education, that her family has um, resources for uh, counseling for them, and that she, she can get hopefully to college if she chooses or to a vocational trade. That I've always done that same model, even in Haiti. I realized that these kids are being trafficked, but they didn't have a way to get out, really, really get out. They need access to education. Their family needs resources. And um, as a child, I raised myself from the time I was five years old. 
And when I started this organization, I did it with the intent of, I know what it feels like that nobody's going to come back for you. And I don't want other kids to feel like that. And in, in Katie, when I first went, there's a boy there that is my son. His name's Mackinson. And I don't want Mackinson to ever feel, and the kids that are with him to feel like I felt, which I know that they do, that no one's coming back for you. So after I started um, doing some extractions in Haiti, I started working in the U.S. and I've done multiple extractions, but the extractions are easy. If you want to know the truth, that's the easy part. Everyone has a role and let's help each other. But what's not easy is having these conversations with you today and talking about it um, when it's not convenient. And people ask me, okay, what does human trafficking look like now? Well, I work with specialists in the White House. I work with FBI. I work with law enforcement. I work with small agencies and large ones. And what we're seeing is the digital trafficking. So people ask me, what can I do to really help? Well, 80% of the kids that we go looking for are groomed online first. If we really want to talk about child trafficking or human trafficking, I firmly believe that we have to look at our own social media profiles. This is how the traffickers are getting to our children right now. And this is what's going to happen in the future. So yes, like we have to talk about what has happened in the past, but we have to give our children children, the tools that they need to not be a victim. And first and utmost, what I've found over the last you know year or so that I just may not be a popular thing to say is we need to look at our own social media profiles. If we're trying to be a sex symbol on social media, why would we expect kids wouldn't want to do the same? So you ask me what you can do no matter where you are, no matter what socioeconomic status you fall in, look at your own social media profile, scrub it. If you have pictures of you that are trying to be a sex symbol. And I'm telling you that because I've seen really, 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 really bad things for people that do this. Um, I think of this girl in Phoenix that we got out. She was seeing her mom on TikTok, on OnlyFans, trying to be a sex symbol. So she tried to do the same thing. We have to understand that it's not just something we talk about. Yes, we're going to talk about it, but do something about it. I you know, do public speaking. I do have school assemblies. And I always leave there going, I should have told them more. What can they actually do? And what I'm seeing from this evidence I see on a daily basis. So when I get off this call, I'll be doing more terrible, be like looking at more terrible, dark, dark things in our society. And it, it stems from us not actually doing something. Talk to your kids about who they're talking to online. Understand that there's a threat. If you're in this room, you understand that human trafficking is real. We don't need to really talk about if it's real. But our youth don't understand that they're sitting on a, a battlefield with no armor without any way to defend themselves and that's the internet and right now traffickers are calling this time the time of the harvest because they're able to get at our youth without us knowing so that when i started at the beginning saying that it was worse in the states and it is in haiti well the states we don't talk about it and we don't talk about god enough so what i urge people to do is to go serve each other and to also look at our own so social media profiles look at how these conversations that might be uncomfortable about pornography because every time that I get to talk to somebody that's deciding to buy sex with a minor, they are addicted to pornography. I have, there's little you could do to convince me otherwise that porn is the root of this problem. We have to have these conversations. The leaders in this room are the leaders of light. Let's go ahead and protect those that are in our circle of influence and have these conversations. I'm not sure how much time I have left. I think I'm almost out of time. Um, can you give me a thumbs up if I have more? Time? Yes, ma'am. You have more time. Gigi, I don't know if I have any more time. Yeah, I do. Okay. Yes. Yay. Um, so I, my slides aren't loaded up 
behind me, but it's just probably my fault. But um, I wanted to, when some, some people that were going to come to this event submitted some questions and I wanted to make sure I touch on how people can truly help in human trafficking. Um, if you want to, there's going to be, you know, you can Google, you know, human trafficking in 2020, there's this, this human trafficking tip report. I work in Ireland. I I work all over the world, you know, and regardless of what soil you're on, they use the tip report. So if you want to know what, what it looks like on a global scale, these numbers are just what's reported. So it's not going to be completely accurate. Do some research. The reason why I say that is the tip report is because doing our own research is our own responsibility. So if you want to help do that, do your own research and then go my organization and others that are going to be on this, um, in this event today, many have organizations that are boots on the ground front lines. Our organization does street outreach regularly. We go into these normally non-permissive areas where, you know, the brothels are being set up and we do outreach. Uh, in, in Tampa, we have found over 200 undercover brothels. And prior to that sting operation, we found 30,000 online ads soliciting sex with minors. This problem is so rampant. We have to understand the threat so that we can leave here and do something about it. If you want to help my organization, globalep.org, you can sign up to volunteer, collect um, outreach supplies for, for anybody in your, if, you, if you're in a different town than me and you collect outreach supplies, I'll make sure it gets to an organization. Global EP works with other nonprofit organizations to make sure they have what they need and we make sure survivors have what they need. So when they get out like that victim I was talking about, we make sure she has access to food, sh safe shelter um, and security. So when I started my, ext my extraction journey, I did it without any help. I went on on the streets in San Diego. And I was literally helping girls get a ride out away from the traffickers. And I got myself into some very dangerous situations. So that's why I got trained properly. And I will, our organization will take resources in and get them to vetted nonprofits that are out there doing similar things, whether it's in the States or internationally. So if you want to help go to our website, you can collect resources and we'll get them to organizations in your area, to the FBI, to law enforcement, um, or you can, I can show you who needs, who needs the help. And also, um, if you want to be involved in our documentary, we have a couple weeks. Um, if you know of another uh, nonprofit organization that's just really slaying it in the human trafficking world, we love to collaborate. And that's the only way we can be stronger is together is because we are one, we're one heart, we're one love, our whole, our whole world is just one. And it's up to us to hold hands together seriously, not trying to be too woo-woo about it, but it's up to us to share our light. And so I encourage everyone to, to come together together. And that's what global education philanthropist is, is we bring other organizations together. So thank you for having me. Thank you. And I, I believe it's Deborah next, but I have more to say. I just don't want to. Cami, thank you so much for joining us today. Remember you can connect to all of these amazing leaders in this topic uh, afterwards in this Facebook group that is created by Gigi. And we appreciate you so much, Gigi, for hosting this. Um, I wanted to just read some statistics and some really important information as we transition from speaker to speaker. Um, surprisingly, as I pulled up online last night, there were so many hot topics on this. And I wasn't shocked. I was just amazed. Um, so I wanted to go through one of these with you today. Local campaigns aim to increase awareness and put an end to human trafficking. This is out of um, Louisiana. And so did you know that yesterday, February the 25th, is a really important day? 
because it is the End It Movement Day. February 25th marks the ninth annual Shine a Light on Slavery Day. Um, because of the pandemic, this exploitation uh, has created a movement for the hands with the red X. So if you see those, that is part of the End It Movement, and that is February the 25th, which was yesterday, celebrating nine years of awareness. I want to bring on our next speaker, Deborah Beckman. I'm so excited to have you here, founder and director of Navigating Justice in Atlanta, Georgia. She's a domestic violence and child advocate specializing in interventions and support for parents and children caught in conflict. Due to the enormous problem of child sexual abuse and child trafficking, Deborah became involved with the Human Trafficking Task Force under the Criminal Justice Coordinating Council in Georgia. Longer term, she plans to offer a decisional support system based on her data and case studies to prevent child abuse and trafficking, a system that will serve agencies, courts, and various professional groups. Learn more at navigatingjustice.org. Welcome, Deborah. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. And Cami, I can't wait to talk with you offline. Wow. Um, so I'm Cami said everything so beautifully. I'm just going to launch right in. Um, one of the places where children become vulnerable, where anybody be, can become vulnerable to trafficking is where there's involvement in the court system. So again, my name is Deborah Beecham and I'm the founder of Navigating Justice in Atlanta, Georgia. What happened to me in 2007 opened my eyes to human trafficking. I never thought of myself as prey, as someone who could be vulnerable to exploitation, but that was before I fell under the control of two lawyers, two women who saw me as a commodity, isolating me and profiting from my abuse. After I broke free in 2008, I reeled for a few years from the trauma as you might imagine. And, but I hung on to this question and that was, if they're able to do this to me so easily, what are they doing to children and to others under their control? Like it just was a, a big wake up call. Um, I'm from Miami and I saw a lot growing up, but I never saw um, people who trust in professionals who have a duty to uphold the law and to be loyal and honest, to think that they could um, so easily exploit and profit from the abuse of people under their control. That, that just, that was my big aha moment. And I knew that I needed to get involved. So it was interesting when you said nine years ago, you know, was when this movement really kicked off. It was just before that, um, this was 2007. So by 2011, I founded my advocate center to start addressing this, but nobody was really talking about child sexual abuse openly. Nobody was talking about human traffic trafficking openly, certainly not in the Atlanta suburbs, you know, not where I am. You know, this is, this isn't something that happens here. This is a third world country issue. So no, I'm, and like I said, Cammy said it so beautifully. Um, so uh, let's see. So in 2020, I started navigating justice as a sister organization to my advocate center with the goal of um, promoting early intervention when families get involved in conflict. If we can catch families before they get caught up in the court system, before conflict escalates out of control, 
because that's where people get really distracted and kids start to fall through the cracks. So um, I'm going to wake up my slides here and I may need a reminder on how to make my slides work. Here we go. Um, share screen and okay. Can everybody see my slides? Yes, ma'am. Okay, thanks. Okay, so the question that I wanted to address is who's vulnerable to becoming a traffic, uh, a victim of human trafficking? And the short answer is that children who are separated from nurturing parents and safe support systems are easy prey. Um, and I'm sure somebody else will be touching on addiction and different ways that children um, and really anyone, young adults, teenagers, um, trauma provokes them to look in other areas for comfort. And that's where they become, um, and, and online, especially like Cami was saying, um, you know, if, if parents are distracted from what their kids need and what their kids are doing, that's when we really have to worry. So th this is my goal with navigating justice is to intervene with families so that people don't take their eyes off their children and we can do a better job of um, maintaining stability for families. Because I think that's key to preventing trafficking. So, um, so the question, you know, is who's vulnerable? The answer is, you know, really anyone who's um, caught in conflict, especially children. And in this slide, what I'd like for you to focus on is not the looks on the family's faces, but the fact that they're still sitting in the same room together, they're still close to each other. This pre presents an opportunity to intervene early. So if you happen to know anybody in your community who's at this stage and you want to you know, talk about what's possible, navigatingjustice.org forward slash contact is the best way to reach me. And on slide three, I'm gonna move through these concept slides quickly because I think you get it. Um, I'm gonna say here that, you know, this nastiness, this family drama is what causes us in society to turn away from families. We don't wanna get involved in the family drama. Um, we don't want the ugliness to rub off on us. And that, um, that creates a dark space. That creates an opportunity for this family to be exploited. Um, and so that goes to my, the, my point that the trend in the United States and beyond, I heard from um, a leader in Japan that they had the same problem there, that um, the court system is not functioning the way we think it should. And the trend is to keep children in harm's way or either, or to put them in a dangerous position because that escalates and prolongs the conflict, making it more profitable. So think of family conflict as a profit center for human traffickers. Um, let's see. So now we get into the ugly slide. I'm going to call this impact one, um, which is, you know, I'm, I'm going to sterilize it a little bit and call it a case study. Um, this case 
is from 1997 and it went on for years, actually probably a decade. And the problem with this family in conflict is that the father was molesting not only the daughter, but her older brother. And, and I'm, I'm willing to share, I'm happy to share these slides. Um, I've redacted identifying information, um, but there's too much detail to go in here in a 10 minute span. But I want you to see that this is real, that abused children were kept in the abusive environment because it was more profitable for the lawyers and the psychologists involved. So this is, this is something that should shock everyone to the core. And ideally, we'd have, and Gigi, I'm looking at you because after you know, we hang up here, I mean, this is what I have to work with local leadership, state and federal leadership on, and with law enforcement is, that this has been going on for decades and it's still going on. And in fact, some of the same professionals involved in cases going back 10 and 20 years, they are still doing the same thing. Children are being trafficked within the context of civil litigation. So um, I happen to have, these are not just blank records. I met the son and daughter who were abused and they were not only molested by their father, their father introduced them to other men. The children were pimped out and they were, and, and you can see here, this is a DFAX report. This is a CPS report. It was known that these children were being molested and nobody stopped it. Let that sink in for a minute. The court system knew, the state agency knew, the professionals, who were appointed and had a duty to protect the children, everybody knew. And the daughter developed dissociative disorder. And, and I'm, I'm not gonna touch on the son because I don't have enough time to go in there, but you can, you, can, you can probably imagine just how messed up they became. And the fact that everyone was in denial about what was happening to them made it even worse. So the good news is, now they're recovering, they're thriving, but it's only because they were eventually released to their mother and they were able to get the right treatment to be able to move forward. Um, so now that we have that concept that this goes on, this is a problem that needs to be disrupted. Um, let's see, where's my... Um, all right, I'm, I'd like to get to my next slide. There we go. Okay, now that we get the concept, um, I have three cases I'm gonna to touch on quickly. And um, how much time do I have? Three or four minutes? Correct. Okay, okay thanks. All right, so um, this particular case, and I'm only showing this child's face because I believe in her situation, it will keep her safer. Um, this mother is in the Fulton jail. Um, hopefully on March 5th, um, with community support and awareness and transparency, hopefully this mother will be released from jail and able to get into a reunification plan to get her daughter back in her life. Um, right now, the child is in the foster system. And the point with this is that when children are separated from families, you know, sometimes it's, it's justified. That's what we need to do to protect the child. In this case, 
however, the mother was a victim of domestic violence, but mistakenly treated as a perpetrator. If the people who caught this family were trauma-informed, trained to look at the entire situation, this mother and child never would have been separated. But now that they are, fortunately, the caseworker, the agency, everybody's listening. We now have a court, we have a new lawyer, we have a court hearing, we have paperwork in process to have this child moved from foster care to live with family. This is a turnaround story in progress. And I bring this up in the human trafficking context in this discussion, because according to Georgia's attorney general, over 80% of the children who are, who, who are identified as child trafficking victims are involved in the system. They're in foster care, they're in state custody. Um, and so we know this is an enormous problem. Over 80% of our child trafficking victims in Georgia are in the system. So I want to see this child removed from the system, placed with family, and for the village that we put around this mother, this mother has no family in Georgia. So this is my rally cry on social media, on my website, under the fundraising tab. And this is why I have the link here, um, navigatingjustice.org forward slash when the victim becomes the accused. If she had not been treated as the perpetrator, her daughter never would have entered the system to be completely separated. I mean, we believe she's doing well. So let's just pray that she is doing well and that this all moves forward the way it should. Okay, so now on to two situations, impact three, and I'm just gonna show you these in case I run out of time. Sorry, impact three and impact four. Um, this story, Justice for Prosper, is on, I have it on two websites, prosper-re-together.com and on navigatingjustice.org under the fundraising tab, I also have Prosper's story. Prosper, like the mother in the previous slide page, they're both domestic violence victims where their children were wrongfully separated from them as a result of domestic violence. So this is why I talk about domestic violence so much. Um, it is just anytime there's domestic violence, the situation becomes ripe for children to become separated and traumatized and for bad things to happen. Um, so if you'd like to read, you know, learn more about Prosper's story and the fundraising that we're doing and what this means for this child, um, the information is here. I'm going to move on. Um, this case... Um, I don't believe I've identified anything here with the family by intention. Um, this is another child custody case where the children reported that they were both sexually assaulted by their father. The court system, this is another failure of the court system and of the professionals um, and of law enforcement. Um, this was the end of 2020 and the right after the children did their forensic report at the hospital, when I, I was there at the hospital waiting to take them to the courthouse. So for the professionals to protect the perpetrator, they had to silence not only the children, but me. I went missing for a while because I was being retaliated against. It was an act of intimidation. 
But most importantly, it was meant to silence me so that I couldn't follow through with authorities to protect these children. I was put in jail. The mother was put in jail and the children, and this is these transporters that are shown in this picture. This was before there was any court hearing, before there was any presentation of evidence, before the children were allowed to speak. These transporters showed up. It was, it was a predetermined outcome that these children were going to be grabbed and taken by force and removed from Georgia because Georgia has jurisdiction over the crime of child molestation in this case. And there's domestic violence, there's pornography to Cammie's point. I mean, pornography is huge in this case. Pornography, drug addiction, domestic violence, but the, for the children to disclose sexual abuse and for them to be immediately removed from Georgia, taken out of state and put in a camp where the only family involvement they're gonna have is with their abuser. Again, this should rock us to the core. This happens all the time. It's why I do what I do. Um, so if you, now that you've seen what's happening, happening, what's possible in this dark hole that is um, civil litigation, you know, I follow the see something, do something rule. So something that you can do is go to navigatingjustice.org, there's a tab called reporting. You can report the situation and have someone to talk to about how to explain the situation to authorities. Because the authorities tend to, and I'm gonna say from local police to the attorney general's office, to the attorney general, to the FBI, any jurisdiction, they have a hard time seeing the crime when the crime is being committed by lawyers, psychologists, and with judges doing favors. In this particular case, um, this was a judge that I was actually friends with before he put me in jail. Um, he had my cell phone number, which is able, how he was able to call me and say, you know, how far from the courthouse are you with those kids? Um, what was going on here was the judge got a divorce a couple of years ago and his law firm is the same law firm that re represents the father in this case. The favors that go on, you know, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, you know, and I'm not here to throw mud and defame anybody, but this is what happens. Favors are being done, children are being hurt, and the traffickers, the lawyers and psychologists are making a lot of money doing it. Um, so I ask people to connect with me, to um, subscribe to our newsletter, follow on social media, but most importantly, share the link so that other people can learn, learn how to protect themselves. Under, if they're going to have to go into the court system with a divorce or a custody case, know what you're getting into before you go. Um, and if there's a situation that has already happened that can be reported, this link um, down here. And again, if I, if someone wants a copy of my slides, I'm happy to um, send them out. I just ask that you go through navigatingjustice.org, contact me and I'll get you a copy of the slides. So thank you so much for doing this. And I'm excited to hear from the rest of your speakers. Thank you, Deborah.
Deborah, thank you so much. Um, wow. I hope you're taking notes. Uh, get your journals out. There is so much great information here. We've got great contact and a copy of the slides is powerful in remembering that it is happening all around us, right? Every single day. Um, another statistic, right? Victims frequently do not seek help, maybe due to language barriers, fear of their traffickers, fear of law enforcement, just like Deborah just said, because human trafficking is considered a hidden crime. Several key indicators can help people recognize potential endangerment and notify proper law enforcement. The United Nations Office on Drug and Crime has a list of indicators here that you can use to help identify victims. These indicators include appearing malnourished, appearing injured or having signs of physical abuse, avoiding eye contact, social interaction, and avoiding law enforcement, responding in manners that seem rehearsed or scripted, lacking personal identification documents, or lacking personal possessions. So a common misconception that human trafficking does not exist or does not happen in the United States is false. The United States is ranked as one of the worst countries globally for human trafficking. And it's estimated that 199,000 incidents occur every single year. With that, I'm going to turn it to our next speaker, which is Scott Lumley. American businessman and writer, he's also the former owner of Music City Stars, previously known as the Nashville Bronx, an expansion team in the American Basketball Association and played from 2009 into 2010. Welcome, Scott. How y'all doing today? Thank y'all for having me. Milani, and uh, it, it's just an amazing panel. I'm sitting here watching such beautiful, beautiful people. Um, you know, I'm sitting there listening to you talk about the indicators and, and, and I, I hit every one of the checkpoints that you were talking about throughout my life. Um, I, I didn't want to talk about, I didn't want to share it. And this is really uh, over the past four months is really my first chance to start sharing my journey. And I like to point out that it's, it doesn't just happen to women. It does happen to men too. And, um, and, and boys, obviously I was a boy when this happened to me. And my journey started off when I was uh, very young. Uh, my mother was a prostitute, like a lot of people that they grow up in a rough uh, environment and the environment ends up sucking them in. Uh, same thing happened to me. Uh, my mother was a prostitute. My father was in prison. I had two younger brothers and I was constantly defending those younger brothers. And uh, I just I couldn't take it no more. You know, it's just too much. Um, and I ended up crawling a luggage rack of a Greyhound bus in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, it was kind of my escape. I spent a couple of months as a runaway kid. And by the way, that was probably the happiest time of my life uh, because I didn't have the pressures of watching my mother be beat every day or having men, uh, <clears throat> you know, attack my brothers um, or me fighting like a grown man at the age of eight, nine, 10 years old, which happened hundreds of times, not just one or two times. You know, watching my mother be drowned in a bathtub, me have to fight people off of her. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. So when I finally made it to this, what I thought sanctity was for a couple of months as a runaway kid in Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, I felt like I had finally, you know, got away from it all. Unfortunately, I got introduced to a preacher and um, that's when the journey really began. Uh, he uh, carried me to Central Homa, Oklahoma, and uh, I was chained in a barn for 4.8 years. Um, for 4.8 years, I was beaten and raped on a day-to-day -day basis. 
Um, I was a very strong guy, as you can see. I'm still kind of strong, but anyway, um, I was a very strong guy. And uh, so the only way he could subdue me was with ball bats. And um, uh, that's this went on repeatedly for, you know, four and a half, four point eight years. I finally decided that I, I couldn't, I, you know, I was going to, I prayed every single solitary day, but nobody was coming. And I, and that's what I think is amazing about this panel is, is, you know, now I look back and I see that there are people that are trying to come. You're trying, they're trying to get there, but they need the information. They need uh, the resources, the financial resources. They need these things to be able to come get these children. So this is why I appreciate this panel so much. But in my particular case, you know, I'm in a 20,000 acre ranch in the middle of nowhere in a barn chained up and nobody ever came. So I actually had to take the action myself. So uh, it took me almost 500 days of spinning a chain in my teeth to finally break it. If you'll notice now, I have a really pretty smile and really pretty teeth. They're well paid for many years later. <laughs> uh, but they were, they were used very well during that time. Luckily, the chain tempered and broke. By the time it did, uh, he, he entered the building. Um, he weighed 100 pounds soaking wet. I weighed almost 200 pounds. I'm rabid. I'm angry. And I'm ready to go. Um, I attacked him. Uh, I left him in a puddle of blood. I thought I killed him. Hoped I killed him to tell the truth. Wished I killed him to tell the truth. Um, uh, and I ran. Now, in these days, you know, we're talking about the late 70s, early 80s. Um, you know, men were, you know, we don't share our feelings back then. We don't talk about these types of things. It's just not something you did. We didn't have caller ID and internet and, and, and DHS and counseling and all this stuff that we currently have now. That None of that stuff is available. What we did have was hard work. And I ended up running to a ranch in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and they gave me a job mucking stalls. And muck installs, if you don't know what that is, so look it up. Uh, it's uh, uh, cleaning horse crowds. <laughs> but, but it was a blessing because it was, at least it was a safe environment. Ironically, I ended up living in a barn again. I always thought that was very ironic that I spent another you know, five or six years living in a different barn. But it was a nice barn. It wasn't like the one I'd left. So learned how to ride horses, learned how to rope, learned how to ride bulls, spent 20 years as a pro cowboy. Taught myself how to read and write. Um, along with some of the Cowboys helping me. And I guess to, to kind of sum it up right there, because I don't want to go too much farther, is basically what it comes down to is, is I worked the rest of my life to make sure that I was in a financial position to where I could help people who are in this situation. So I think God carried me through all this so that I could be a sword for these people that are sitting in these places that are, that are unknown to us at this moment in time, that we can create the financial resources through my business endeavors and my businesses that I currently have, create the resources that we can take and donate back to our charities to help people. So I've taken a different approach to charity work. Um, I buy companies, I force them to give the money to our charities. Um, it's simply that simple. Um, so many times we go and we ask for people to help us, but for whatever reason, they don't want to do that because they're too busy with their own lives. It doesn't impact them, so therefore, they're not impacted. So I changed it up on them. I switched it up. I've owned over 150 companies in the last 20 years. I focused on business. I'm not educated. I've only had a year and a half of school. Um, this should show you that anybody that puts their mind to doing something can do it. Um, it is a, a beautiful world if you'll just open your eyes up and look at it. But we have a nasty world that we have to protect people from. And the only way we're going to do that is with financial resources and pulling together. The only way we're going to do that is with everybody showing a lot of love, gratitude, and more importantly, action. The action is where we're going to win. If we're not, we can sit here and talk all day long, have all these beautiful speakers up here, and you can tell your stories of your woes, and I get it. Well, I've been through it too. But if we don't take action, then we're not accomplishing anything. So my name is Scott Lumley. I appreciate y'all's time. I, I, I hope that was enough. Um, I, I'll try to keep it under 10 minutes. <laughs>
Scott, that was beautiful. I, I, first of all, thank you for being courageous to share because uh, some people just have a secret deep within and, and it helps so much for you to come forward. And, um, and we really appreciate you today. Thank you very much. It's nice to be here. You know, remember, you can take action, just like what Scott said. It just takes us to recognize being aware and picking up that phone. I want to remind you, there is a human trafficking hotline that serves victims and survivors of human trafficking across the United States. The hotline is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, and in more than 200 languages. It's a confidential hotline. And it helps any person of any age, religion, race, language, gender identity, sexual orientation, or disability. The contact hotline to report a tip, seek services for help, or any concerns. That number is 888-373-7888. If you suspicion anything what you can do is get involved and take action. Thank you, Scott, for that reminder. Our next panelist, Juju, Julie Juju Christopher, founder and creator of Biz Tuition, spiritual guide, music artist, author, healer, transformational speaker, and one of the world-renowned experts in business intuition and is the host of the Mystical Entrepreneur Podcast. Welcome, Juju. Thank you for having me. <laughs> can you all, Lisa, can you hear me okay? Yes, ma'am. Awesome. I wanted to start by uh, really sharing my gratitude to all of you here today because you giving us the opportunity to take action. So to your point, Scott, we are taking action by being here. So thank you, Gigi, for that opportunity for all of us to take action on this important matter of safety and truly life and death. So let me share a little bit about what prompted me to speak about this today. If you've seen the movie Taken, it kind of happened to me. In fact, not just that it happened to me, but it really happened to me in Paris as well. So I wanted to make a point because there is industries that we must be aware of, like the entertainment industry, which I was a part of. And I want you to understand because we look at fame and success in a program kind of way. But if you look to your point at Deborah and Cami, where they talk about the social media, be very aware your appearance, be aware of what you talk about, how you show up in the world, because those are triggers for those who are preying on those young children and teenagers and women and boys. And I've been a victim of that in the entertainment industry in Paris. So let me take you through for a few moments. Imagine your daughter about 17, 18 years old, seeking opportunities in the industry of entertainment, music, modeling, film. 
which I was in because by the age of seven, I was already prepped to do stage and performance. So as a young artist, the only really place to um, be an artist and really to, to get a career was in Paris. And I am from a very small town in the south of France where there was no opportunities. That being said, by the age of 15, hence, I was already victim of a sexual assault in my family. Hint, that was already part of a program, understand? So no coincidence for this to happen to me along the way, okay? So the prevention is not just in human trafficking, the prevention is in our own home, okay? And listening to our children, all right. So here I was completely alone because I raised myself just like Cami, her story is <laughs> amazing. Went to Paris by myself to seek opportunities in the music industry. Now, when I got there, I was pretty much working as a recording artist, a vocalist. I was also in the film industry, yad, yad, yad. Model in the realm of network which is the appearance is amazing. It's fame and fortune and you name it, you're around other celebrities. So you don't think anything of it, but watch this. In this réseau, say network word in French is réseau, we are alone because they prey on those young people who are alone, who are vulnerable. Who have, who have no one else. So they become your friends. So they become close to you. So they know you, they know what you like, they know what you don't like, they become your family, your tribe. So you have now someone to trust because now you have a tribe in the entertainment industry. They know I was, they have what we call um, uh, people in the network that they are like um, baits, baits. They are recruiting you. They are recruiting you to become either a pornographic artist or um, uh, in, the, in, the, in the realm of traffic human um, is, um, a sexual slave and that's what they were preying on that being said they have everybody in this network that i'm speaking about billion dollar industry they have everyone who has a role for instance i was you know this young artist and i have a um place that I go every day. So like a cafe or I had lunch or they, they see what you're doing and they have this person that is kind of mirroring you. For instance, same sex, same age, somebody that you can relate to, understand. Me being alone, no family, no one to help me. Okay. Vulnerable. 
this young girl was following me for weeks, months. She knew where I was every day, what my schedule was. So one day she was at the same place that I had my lunch or my coffee in Paris. She approached me have a conversation. Now, I don't think anything of it, right? What would you? There's nothing wrong. It's just another person, same age, 17, 18 years old, sitting with you, having a conversation and bonding, understand. Bonding. So now what? I have a friend. I have a best friend. I have someone that can listen to my problem, to my, you know, to, to, to who I am. They can't, she, she's in my life now. Little that you know, she is the one who's basically was a bait for taking me along the journey of what happened, which at one point she said, oh, let me introduce you to someone really important in the industry because you want to be a famous artist, don't you? Right? So I followed through, I follow along, me thinking, wow, this is great. This is happening, <laughs> you know? And this, this network was one of the most popular TV network in France. So I mean, untouchable, especially for someone like me. So you go along, then you, 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 you meet with people, you get um, a, a sense of familiarity. They love you. They care for you until you wake up one day in Paris in a warehouse slash apartment, blindfolded, drugged, beaded, and trained to be a sex slave. But the thing of it is, this is not the part that's so important. The part that's important to understand is that I was brainwashed for months until this happened. You, do you see what I'm saying? So when you are brainwashed and you start to believe that you are not worthy, that you are only good to do pornographic movies, that you are only good to do uh, uh, sex, you know, uh, anything that's happening, what's happening to me at the time, you are completely, you, you're not in control anymore. Understand, this is what I'm trying to say here is that if you have a a, a daughter or a son, or if you know someone in that industry, make sure that you are keeping an eye on them. Make sure that you ask questions. Make sure that you visit. Make sure that you, you know that they, they know that they're not alone because anything can happen. And, and I escaped this. It was God's grace because they were actually turning us and selling us to other countries. Come to find out all of that later on. So it's a, really a miracle that I'm here speaking because I had a window opportunities to escape. And I had it in me to literally run, physically run. In the middle of nowhere, I ran until I found someone to talk to. But you know what? It was a miracle. But it's, it's like Scott, to your point, it's taking action 
but I had no one. So how did I, how did I evolve to who I am today? And I think the, the lesson for me and maybe to you is that if you are going through a trauma, perhaps it is because there is an awakening that a lesson behind maybe it's to me what it was an awakening spiritually it was a moment in my life where i found god and i trusted that i was not alone in that sense so i became more you know um in alignment with my purpose so i thank god for for that event although i don't wish that for anyone uh, god forbid but what you understand is this, is that at the beginning, when I was a child, I had those um, events in my life where I was sexually assaulted, where, where I, I was in an environment that was not supportive. I was in an environment that was not listened to or heard or felt safe, you understand? So all of this accumulation that I wanted to be heard and seen prompt me to really wanted to have this fame, this career, uh, so I could express myself. But there is people out there who are preying on those young art artists. And this is very important to understand. It can happen and it's happening today, especially with the social media that's out there. So after this, I started to have seizures, grandma seizures that actually took me to the hospital and I had a, um, I actually physically died from one of my seizures <laughs> and I woke up in the ER. So this is very important subject. This is not something that you can just listen and just, oh, okay, well, it's happening one out of a million people. No, that's not true. It's happening to many. And so what you look at is those young people who are vulnerable, who are seeking, you know, the fame and the fortunes, and they would do anything possibly to get that. Make sure that you understand this is very important because this feeling of not having self-love, this feeling of being unworthy really ignites that, you know, that those reality. But you can't, you can prevent that. We can prevent that. We can, we can teach our, our children to, to have self-love, to feel, to, to not feel shame, and definitely to teach our children to speak up, to speak up. Anything, any trigger, and this is the thing, what it is, is it, if, it, if it looks too good to be true, it is. <laughs> you know, it really is. And so the, look at deeper have conversation, look at, at what really, uh, uh, find out more about the people that you're around in those industries, who they are, because it's, it's a very evil um, um, industry. It's, it, you know, and it could be very evil. I'm not saying it's all evil, okay? But it could be. And so don't oversee that, you know, just take, take a moment to analyze, understand uh, the people around you, and make sure that you come from a place of curiosity and not just take somebody's word for it. Look deeper than that. Look deeper than the surface. Because when you scratch that surface, there is some really ugly things that's happening behind the curtain, literally. And so what I've experienced 
within this uh, network is that I've seen celebrities part of this. I've seen politicians in the room with me part of this. And those sex slaves were actually trained for all of these people, you know? So, and there was a big, big money, was drug involved, pornography. And once you're in it, it's very difficult to get out. It's not easy. It really isn't. So really, truly, truly God grace that I'm here. I, I can imagine. And this girl, I don't know what happened to any of these people. All I know is that I went to the police. I uh, put a statement together and they used me as a bait to catch one of these people. And it was very, very scary for me because <laughs> they put me in, a, in my apartment. Oh, and by the way, that girl that was seeing me all this week, she invited me to say, hey, why can we be roommate? It will be easier together. That's, you understand, once you're part of a trust, that you trust the people around you, it's very difficult. You get manipulated, brainwashed. And again, I, I, I had um, a disorder, a eating disorder from this, seizures, um, emotional and mental trauma for many, many months, you know, and, and going through the healing process is also very difficult because the trust is gone. You do not trust anyone after that, understand? And your life is, is just a mess. So make sure that you are aware of the people that you encounter every day, especially today with the social media that's so accessible for everyone to look at your life, to know what you're doing every day and who you are, what you, you know? And so that, um, I hope that, clears a little bit of curiosity about what can happen in this industry of entertainment industry and just very be very aware of, of that that it's it really is happening thank you juju thank you juju you know thank you you are an amazing woman and thank you for sharing how vulnerable people can be you know, we just, we trust so much until we don't. And sometimes it's too late. And so I just appreciate you sharing your story. As I was looking up statistics last night, just as a, I wonder what's happening right now relevant. So on February the 25th, yesterday, John Gettert, ex-U.S. gymnast coach, dies by suicide amid trafficking. Right. So when you talk, Juju, about the access that people have and the vulnerability, uh, I just want to read you this clip here. It says it's just from ESPN. It says former U.S. Olympic gymnast coach John Gettert has died by suicide ahead of his arraignment on a raft of criminal charges pertaining to including several counts of forced labor resulting in injury, multiple counts of trafficking of minors and two counts of sexual assault. So. You want to think that the perpetrators carry that guilt with them. Sometimes they don't. But this is an example. It's unfortunate that people believe their influence has so much power. And so the vulnerability that we're discussing here is so important for you to step forward and be aware and do what you can to help. Oh, as we go to our next speaker and panelist, Katarina Stefano, thank you so much for joining today. Katarina's personal commitment to eradicate modern slavery and human trafficking was the driving force 
behind her establishment of Step Up, Stop Slavery in 2019 and her national global organization, which utilizes conscious leadership to eradicate human slavery and trafficking through increasing awareness, education, and business engagement. Her corporate background gives her the unique perspective in approaching the problem of human slavery from a holistic perspective, meeting the need for a collaborative approach and to creating and implementing solutions, uniting all elements that needed to have effectively fighting trafficking. Katarina is also a speaker, a writer, and a mentor. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. Um, thank you so much for, for this event. It's an honor to be here and all you speakers listening to you, my heart is just exploding. You are amazing. You are so brave and you really are such an example of resilience, of light and bravery and courage. And we've, these are elements that we really need to see more of in our world to deal with slavery and trafficking. You know, advancements in technology, yet it looks like like human slavery, it's not just a slavery issue. It's a human rights issue. It's a gender-based violence issue. It's a race discrimination issue. It's an inequality issue happening all over the world. And it's not like we haven't tried to find solutions. I mean, we are 73 years on after the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. I mean, for God's sake, the Palermo Protocol now, we're celebrating 20 years from the anniversary of the Palermo Protocol, which is the first legal instrument dealing with human trafficking. And after that, we have so many, so many international, regional, local legal instruments. And still we're looking at numbers. We're looking over 40 million people, which is one in every 185 people in the world is enslaved. It's unbelievable. Now, we, whatever we're doing right 99% of victims, 0.2%. If we think that we have trafficked, there's only for those 2,150 are not working. Now, what we're doing right now, it's not working. Our victims are never safe. 0.2% of our society is one in which slavery and trafficking is growing so much. I mean, it's the third biggest business in the world, right? So like, what are we doing wrong? What is it about our culture 
that enables this to grow and thrive. So the way I look at it is if, imagine a little goldfish pond, right? We have like fish swimming around and the water that it's swimming around in, it's really kind of dark and muddy, right? This is our society. The goldfish is us swimming around and our norms and our values are so muddy. And this is the environment that enables slavery and trafficking to thrive. And what does that look like? What I mean is like, look at our society is governed by ego, egotistical behavior. We don't care about other people. We want instant gratification for ourselves. We're going to stop thinking what the impact is on somebody else. We are living in a society where we can get whatever we want, anytime we want, and, and as long as we can pay for it. It's consumerist society, and we're driven by profit and greed. And this leads to corruption. This leads to like what Deborah was talking about, about, about people being driven by, by profit, about judges and lawyers being paid off to do what's not in the best interest of the child. Now, we need to look at the fact that, and we need to accept the fact that human slavery is a business and it only persists because there's a demand. The supply provided by traffickers is the answer to the demand. Now, as a society, we need to ask ourselves, where is this demand coming from? And it's coming from us, like every single one of us. Right now, it's a personal thing. Every one of us needs to look at ourselves, how we live our life, the choices we make, and ask ourselves, what am I doing? How am I being? part of this problem because all of the solution the two are directly related to each other so move away from the selfish and the ecosystem way of operating and move from the i to we we need to acknowledge that what i do is responsible we need to come from love and care and when we do that we're going to see a difference and i'm going to show you how we're going to see a difference here so what does it look like when i am as an individual coming from a heart-centered approach. Because we need to also realize that, you know what, the I who I am at home, if I'm heart-centered and if I care, is the same I who shows up with my children, in my community, and in my work, carrying out my job. So the way I see it, we've got like four pillars in, in showing a heart-centered approach that's gonna really make a difference and end human slavery. The one is awareness. The second is action, is prevention practices. The third is trauma-informed approach, sensitivity. And the fourth is collaboration. So when we look at, at awareness as an individual, do I know what human trafficking and slavery looks like in my community? If I 
see it? Can I make a report? Do I know where to make a report to? Report is really important because when a victim is defined for victim of human trafficking, then they have to, so by making a report, now awareness, education, in your context as a business leader, do you know in your business of human slavery, where maybe unwittingly your business is, is, is helping human slavery or making it thrive? Number one, let's say hotels. Do you, have you looked in your have you looked at your staff to make sure that you're not hiring anyone who could be a victim of slavery? Do your staff know what to look for? Because we all know that like motels and hotels are used by traffickers. Do your staff know what the red flags are, what to look for? Are they educated? Then we go to action. So once you're aware and you have the education and information, you need to be responsible and you need to take action for that. So the action that you're taking, when you're a parent, are you having the right conversation with your kids so they're safe online? Do you know what they're doing online? As a school, as an educator, in my opinion, every single school should have kids. How do I identify kids that are so need so no child falls through the cracks our children need to be empowered so that they can to listen to their intuition their inner voice to create their boundaries to use their voice to stand for themselves it's exactly what Gigi was saying before we know are we teaching our kids to be empowered now in the corporate world businesses this is in place to identify and stop human trafficking and slavery look banks are actually very well suited for this and it's brilliant that we now have the fast initiative the fast initiative is a public private partnership of the finance industry combating human slavery and trafficking banks already have systems in place where they combat financial crime through money laundering. So how are our banks using the system they have in place to understand what trafficking and slavery looks like in their region and noticing the red flags to actually stop traffickers gaining from their profits? Another thing businesses are doing, marketing strategies. I don't know if you guys have seen the marketing campaign that Garage issued um, this, this week. So God, so, so, 
of how we position ourselves as businesses. Supply chain, like serious kids from grooming, ask for supply chains, do they know where their products come from? Like seriously, we're trying to do something in the United States by eight survivors of child slavery from, um, from the Ivory Coast. So Hershey, Nestle, and Mars are being sued for child slavery right now. Next step, trauma-informed approach. So as an individual, when we know about trafficking and slavery, when we care, when we go and carry out our roles, especially frontliners, you know, when we're dealing with a survivor head on, be it as a judge, as a law enforcement, social welfare, do we understand what complex post-traumatic stress disorder looks like? Do we understand their experiences? Are we being careful and sensitive to the needs of, of, of survivors or not? As businesses, what are we doing to help empower survivors and help them get their lives back? Are we giving funding to NGOs on the ground who are working with survivors? Are we, as businesses, giving work placements, giving training? Financial independence is so important not to fall back into being re-trafficked. And as business leaders, we need to understand that every single one of us is responsible. This is the most important thing. Like every industry that human beings are being exploited, our channels, and we're talking to each other, and we're connecting with each other and we're sharing like what we're seeing, there's no way we're gonna be able to fight it. Now, the UN an ambition that we're gonna end slavery by 2030. We have nine years left. And you know what? I really think it's doable. If every single person commits in their heart as a human being to end human slavery, and every single person becomes aware, every single person cares, and every single person comes together, then we can end human slavery within our lifetime. Thank you. Katarina. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Katarina. I, uh, I just appreciate everything that you share is so important and we need to be aware, right? That's the key. That's where it starts. And I just pulled up an article here last night. This was from February 19th, 2021. And this is an arrest, a man in Redding, California, sentenced to five years in state prison and will be required to register as a lifetime sex offender for human trafficking of a minor, according to the state police in Shasta County District Attorney's Office. Now, this investigation started in November of 2020, and they learned of a possible underage human trafficking victim. The victim was 17 years old and reported that she was being used for the purposes of prostitution by an adult. Here's the scary part. Listen to this. 
Investigators identified 24-year-old Zachary Taylor as the suspect. He was contracted with the victim on an app called Whisper. According to the DA's office, they said Taylor created an online profile for the victim with the purpose of having her in exchange for sex for money. Taylor screened potential customers for the victim and then directed her as to which customers she was to meet with. This is happening right now. Technology is great, but our influences can be traumatic. So if you are suspicious, do the right thing and get more information and check everything out that you can because it's so easy. You all are, are really amazing in sharing so much valuable information here today. Some takeaways. Uh, our next speaker is Jess Richardson. Jess, you are a mental health alchemist, survivor of much, systems builder, author, speaker. We are so glad to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining us. Can you hear me? I was having some hiccups through the last presentation. Am I still good? Yes, ma'am. We can hear you. Awesome. We can hear you. Thank you so much for having me. I am, I've been listening and just absorbing. It's been absolutely awesome. The panel is just outstanding. Thank you for having me here. I feel like I could tell a million stories about my life and there's so many so many nuances all the way through. I, it, I'm going to go very briefly into it, but really, I think that we are here for solutions, that that is what we really want. We want to see change. We want to be able to understand, because I think in reality, we fear what we don't understand. And because trafficking is this big, huge, scary subject, it's daunting for so many people. Let me break down my story a little bit. I, I went through all of these wild experiences as a child. Like I, I started being raped when I was four and five by teenagers. Um, my dad was murdered when I was 10 years old by a teenager. Um, I ended up running away from home and I was just called a slut and a whore. And I didn't understand, I didn't have that education as to what this meant and why. And really, I was looking for connection. I was looking for someone to see my heart. But you know who saw it? It was gangs. I ended up getting raped into a gang. And it was, it, I felt loved. I felt seen. But I saw a type of violence that I wasn't familiar with. And it blew my mind. And I realized that I was the token white girl. I looked around and I was the only one that looked like me and I had a giant target on my face. And I ran and I hid and that was the privilege that I lived within was being able to hide and chameleon into any situation. And I started working in a restaurant and a man came in and he was amazing. He told me all these awesome things that I could be somebody, that I could be anybody. And then he helped solve my problems. And he asked me one day, he said, if you're already having sex, why wouldn't you want to get paid for it? And I thought that is a damn good question. Because why wouldn't we want to get paid for something that has always been used against us? And that moment that I turned that first trick, I lost all of my freedom. 
and there wasn't anyone to help me out because they weren't looking for hoes like me. I bought into this life of pimps and hoes and together we were taking on the world. And I think that's why we don't see trafficking in our communities because we're not looking for the hoes. We're not looking for the ones who are selling sex. That's what this is. Trafficking, the nature of trafficking is the commercial aspect of it. If we forget the commercial aspect, we're minimizing the abuse of all these other types like domestic violence, like childhood sexual assault. These words mean things for a reason. I ended up figuring out a way to hide from my pimp and I was sitting in the law library. I took myself in fishnet stockings to the law library and started studying the laws around the sex industry so I could have a better understanding of how to get away from him. And I did. After a few months, I ended up swinging a deal. I turned a business around. I was 18 years old. And I do want to point out, nothing fabulous happened on my 18th birthday. I was still just as trafficked at 17 as I was at 18. I, like, I wasn't even living under my name. And the law enforcement that had sex with me and traded blowjobs for not going to jail, no one knew that I was a minor because I was a product. I was the product. I know how to sell myself. We all sell ourselves. That's the nature of humanity. That's how we survive. Ended up building a large escort service on the West Coast. And honestly, my time as an empowered sex worker was one of the best times of my life. And it was because I finally had control of my body. And it wasn't until I got pregnant that I decided to leave three years later. I ended up meeting another man who told me the same things, except he meant it. We've been married now for almost 17 years. We have five kids. We have completely changed our generational cycles because it takes full systemic undoing of everything you know in order to make the changes, to reboot your generational line and actually live in a way that is true to who I am. I had to redefine everything. I want to take you all on a trip real quick, a trip to the moon. Because when we go to the moon, we can see the entire globe. I'm sorry, flat earth people, we got, we got a globe here. <laughs> I want to take you to the moon and we're looking at the globe, the entire thing, 8 billion people. And what we have is trafficking in every single industry, but it wasn't always called trafficking. It used to be called slavery. In fact, if we look at just 2000 years of history, every single continent has experienced some form of genocide, some form of slavery. In fact, prior to 1440, when the printing press was invented, slavery wasn't racism. It was classism, every single class, every single race enslaved the lowest people within their society. There have been trades going for thousands of years, for millennia, but we don't see it. This is why I don't call myself a sex trafficking survivor. I am a trafficking survivor trafficked into the sex industry because what we have is a multi-trillion dollar industry that is not going away. It's the oldest profession in the world because we have a problem with connection. We have a problem with meeting human needs. And as long as that remains, sex work will always be alive and well because we have a need 
to connect sexually, to connect intimately, to connect our hearts with other people. And when we are living in a state of disconnectment, disconnection, it, it doesn't change. There will always be that need. So as we come down to what we have now, we have trafficking in every single industry across the globe, from agriculture to manufacturing, to the sex industry, to raw minerals and materials. It is in every corner of the planet. We just have to stop. We have to look at what we're doing. I can't tell you that how many times I've laughed at anti-trafficking events selling products made by children. We have to slow down and go deeper. We have to see people for who they are. Solutions. Let's go to solutions really quickly and then I'm done. Thank you all. We need to look at the words because words mean things. They're powerful. And when we're talking about the sex industry, we're talking about people who actually dreamt as little girls and little boys to grow up and be sex workers. Pretty Woman is real. Like we can't deny that that movie exists. Like there are people out there. And then there are children all the way on the other end of the spectrum who are locked in cages. And there are millions of people in between. It's like a bell curve. The most fall in somewhere of the survival sex category in the middle. But because we are the product, you can't tell by looking at us. The best are the ones that can speak mad game. They will rise regardless. We need to be empowered to save ourselves. Because I will tell you, there is not a single person in this world that can do that healing work for me. I had to do it. And what you're seeing today is the end of a 20 year journey that is not the end. Because you know what? It's always happening. I'm always growing. It's that curiosity to go deeper, to learn more, understand things that we fear because those perspectives can change our life. I am just one piece of the puzzle. I am one story, I am one person. I am valuable and I am important. And so is every single person, regardless of the labels you carry. Your voice, your story matters because together when we put this puzzle together, we see what it means to exist in humanity. So I wanna encourage everyone to go deeper into their relationships to look at your neighbors, to look at your community, to understand more about the language around trafficking. And I'm gonna do a very quick plug and I'm done. I have a book, it's called Everything I Know I Learned From My Pimp. I know the irony is strong with that one, <laughs> but it'll get you to pick it up. If the ebook is only $7, I did that because it's, it's my way of helping people understand what I've learned through my last 12 years of advocacy. Since I went public with my story in 09, I've had access to a massive number of survivors who have shared with me and blessed me with their stories. So I feel like I've had this access to hear and understand things that are vastly different than my experience. And for every one of them, I am so grateful. 
and I'm grateful for you to be for being here. Thank you very much. I hope you all have a wonderful day. Mwah. Wow. If you aren't energized now, <laughs> Jess, you're awesome. <laughs> no. I, life is good. Like, let's just give it up for that. If we are here and we're breathing, life is good. <laughs> Thank you. You are awesome. I highly recommend picking up that book. This is just amazing, Jess. I This is the first time I've actually been live with you. So I just, I just wanted to let you know how much I appreciate you. This is energizing to tell people like it's not over, right? Even if you've experienced something, there is hope. You are a survivor of your life. So just step into it. Um, I had a statistic here since she talked about California, and I think it's really important to understand since California is such an impact, consistently is the highest human trafficking rates in the United States. With 1,507 cases reported in 2019, 1,118 of these cases were sex trafficking cases, 158 were labor trafficking, 69 were both sex and labor. The remaining cases were not specified, but most of the sex trafficking cases in California were illicit messages and spa businesses and hotel or motel based. Um, like one of the panelists discussed earlier. Um, of the cases reported, 1,290 were female, 149 were male, and 10 were gender minorities. So I'm hoping that you're really taking some notes on these statistics. It is really important that we all get involved behind this. Now to our next panelist, Michael Matushi transformational guide and filmmaker with a mission to ignite the truth and empower inspirational people to their highest light, impact, and potential. Seeing his divine purpose and a vision, he sold and donated his belongings, stepped away from his Hollywood life, and used his camera to project voices and embolden change makers from marginalized populations around the world. In creating Teens for Sale... This is a short film seen by nearly a half million people made in support of a school for teen survivors of sex trafficking. His fire was lit for the topic. After several years of creating and producing intuitive projects on his own, he returned large-scale team operations to bring forth an epic TV docuseries featuring overcomers that are making waves on the front lines of the movement of shift sex trafficking in America. This effort will be accompanied by the first ever online platform to empower, enrich, and support survivors of survivor-centered initiatives. Welcome, welcome, Michael. Thank you. Great to be here and just loving all these beautiful souls sharing deeply from their space. And um, thanks for everyone putting it together. I, you know, come out from I let all the folks on the front line and with lived experience share what's going on out there. I just come out with some different perspectives to uh, shake up the conversation and, uh, you know, let people see more of what I've seen um, from, from this space and from the space of working with different people around the world. The first thing I choose to share is that for me, um, my survivor, Victor, friends that are doing the front line, 
work, they are some of the most incredible inspirations on the planet. And that goes specifically for me more than any other filmmakers or coaches or guides or leaders out there in the spaces that I've worked in. They are inspirations coming from where they went through and to be able to overcome, create um, uh, abundance for themselves, beautiful families, and then step out in the front lines as well. Yes, sharing stories and doing frontline work and helping others. Wow. That is one of the things I love to share. And that's what I'm coming through. It's coming through with the stories that I'm sharing is that, hey, these people are amazing. So let's move beyond just their story um, and maybe what they're talking about and really see them also as the three-dimensional, multi-dimensional, 360-degree amazing beings that they are and recognize, wow, if they can come through that, then maybe I can overcome what happened to me when I was in school or with my father or whatever happens to be, or what's going on with my neighbor or my company or so forth. They can come through that. We can do so much, so much more as well. So they're my inspirations. And I choose to share that as a storyteller. And um, the second piece that I choose to share today is, um, and Jess and some other people kind of brought the uh, overall conversation to a more macro view. And that's what I also choose to do because if we're including, um, we'll start with Cami talking about the online profiles. So, you know, how we are showing up in our world matters so much and you can stretch it out. It's, it's not that trafficking is just one thing and then um, prostitution is its own thing and pornography is its own thing. They all have a linked Part. It's all one central energy field that comes down from the most egregious, uh, like Scott was talking about, being changed in the barn, um, and what other people will talk about, all the way down the scale to you know being out there and the experiences Jess was sharing, all the way down to social media and what Cammy said at the beginning. So where is the line? Is there a line? Is there really something else out there that we need to stop or change? Or is it actually an entire energy field that has pervaded our society that we're all touching, that we all contribute to, maybe unconsciously, maybe consciously, but recognizing that it's, it's not something out somewhere else. It's what has been going on in our society for thousands of years, that it's been accelerated, yes, by the internet and and other things, but recognizing that it's an energy field. It is the manipulation of sexual energy for profit, pleasure, and control that is overlaying all these spaces that we've talked about and other places that we're coming forth and where this is occurring. And so by understanding that, we can understand that, wow, then if I have sexual energy and there's a manipulation going on, then am I affected? Well, absolutely. And that's evidenced by the very minimal, minimalistic, the very aggressive um, uh, and, and other than high vibrational relationships shown on the typical TV show on pretty much any movie in our common jokes and vernacular and this and that, and our complaining about our, our partner or what's going on with such and such recognize that this is all has a connected, not right or wrong, not something's bad or worse, or, but just recognize it's all connected. So if it's connected, I'm affected by it. That means I can also be empowered to create change in my world in, and it starts as somebody said, it, it all 
I believe somebody said that in this chat was that, um, if not, I'll be the first, is that it starts inside of us. If we're looking on the outside to try to fix everything and fix this and let's go recover all these people and arrest all these people and so forth, that we haven't shifted the energy, you could arrest every single perp every single trafficker right now, every single pimp, every single, and then you could recover theoretically, let's just say you could, this is as we talked about, there are millions, every single person being victimized. What would happen? Well, it would just be a matter of weeks before it would start up again because the demand is still there. The man is still so understanding, wow, this is actually a comprehensive situation. And until we stem what's feeding this blow, then it will, it will continue. It will, it will continue for a while. So recognize that I can be empowered to make a shift in my life by bringing in a continually greater understanding for my relationship to myself, my higher power, to my family, to my friends, and to my community as one community. These are all our kids. These are all our people perpetuating these different types of things and our people who have maybe moved on from it, but still are, are addressing the conditions that have come from the trauma. They're all our people. And when we begin to understand that, we can look differently at how we can support one another, how we can support ourselves, and that comes from really re remembering who we are uh, as spiritual beings and living from a place of divine love, bringing conscious communication and conscious relationship and divine intimacy into all of our relationships and into how we show up in the world, teaching our children, all of our children from the beginning, what that's really all about. So many parents and other folks are, are squeamish about talking about relationship and sex and things like that. Well, if you don't do that, I tell you, there's the drug pusher called the people who make pornography who are going to do it for you. So the idea that we can just bypass that at this stage is a little bit myopic. It's time for us to recognize that it's our job first to be a beacon for divine love and the love that we feel that we can bring forth to the planet in partnership, in relationship, in our every type of uh, personal relationship that we have, and then bringing forth our children, all of our children, and showing them all the beautiful aspects that are missed when um, the relationships are kept at the society level that we've been shown. There's so much more love for everyone, so much more possibility, so much more community and collective action that we can experience. And it starts with me, it starts inside of me, it starts inside of each one of us. So those of you watching who are listening to these different endeavors and, and choosing to say, wow, what can I do? Um, you can be empowered every single day by remembering that it starts inside of you with how you're showing up in the world, how you're showing up for yourself, for your community, your family, and how you're carrying forth your relationships and your highest, most divine choices for yourself. Making those is going to have an impact on other people. Later, if you choose to join and donate and do things for these beautiful organizations that were mentioned, absolutely go for it. It's super important as well. And remember, be empowered. It starts with you. It starts how you show up and how when raising your vibration and stepping into your divinity and stepping into your power, true power of real love, true love, not the Valentine's Day, double twin flame arguing sitcom love that we've been fed for all these years. It's your true divine nature. And then acting from there. And if you do that just for yourself and then you do it for your family or maybe a kid around the corner, but even if you start with yourself, that's a service. So I'll leave it there. My name's Michael. And um, thanks for everybody joining today. 
and for your um, for watching and for sharing and for all these beautiful people that are out there shining the light uh, for this issue in all these wonderful ways. I appreciate you. You are seen. You are loved. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Michael. Wonderful advocacy. Thank you for all that you're doing to bring light to this situation. Um, you know, this quote, nothing happens just because we are aware of modern day slavery, but nothing will ever happen until we are. We have to make a difference. Um, that was a quote from uh, the CEO of the International Justice Mission. And uh, I am so excited to take a break now from the normal panelists. We have a group of sponsors that we want to celebrate. And Rogni Sinekis, I just have been on so many panels with you and I love you. And so you're here joining us today. And so I would like to introduce you. You're the founder of World Women Conference and Awards, Women Entrepreneurs TV, Change Makers Coach, and a public speaker. There's so much more than that that we could discuss. But thank you so much for sponsoring this event and being here. Thank you. It has been a great honor because I'm uh, literally, I'm so shaken. I, I thought that I was uh, having the slight idea what, what was going on because uh, uh, now uh, living here in Mexico, that's unfortunately a, a, a great part of the, of, of the youth here and going through those, uh, those experiences, circumstances and, uh, and how many mothers are, are looking for their kids and they never find them because they're just gone forever. No? So uh, having to deal and, and see that how it affects really uh, the community is, is something that uh, is very hard to understand as a mother myself. And uh, now hearing the, everybody's stories, uh, uh, Katerina Stevenson, Stefano, uh, uh, she, she had exactly where I would go as someone who really believes in empowering through education, because if we do not educate our um, generation in a way that it, uh, it will make an impact, then we can't fix any of it. It starts with, with really paying attention to, to one, that uh, girls will be part of the school system, and, uh, and two, that um, also the gender equality uh, education exists because it all starts with, uh, with the problem is the power and the, and the solution is to empower. So we need to understand that. And until we don't, violence against women will only end when the gender equality and the full empowerment of, uh, of women will be a reality. And I, I, I want to emphasize uh, a little more on uh, Katerina because I her her uh, presentation was cut here and there and just to just I, I understood I hope I understood her message but uh, let's repeat so to, to really be empowered is to authentically step into who we are as women to embrace the feminine and question the very masculine world that we have helped to create no and uh, we need to take 100% of respons responsibility for what is happening in our society. Instead of waiting for government or associations, organizations fix it for us. No, you and me can do that. Because if, st if it starts with us, 
if you as a parent, as Michael just said, if we don't put our head under the, the, the sand and really uh, talk about those, those very realistic threats that our, uh, our youth is facing, that they have the choice. They have the, they believe in us that much that they come to us when somebody approaches them. They come for us to ask advice, mom, this just happened to me. But they need to have that relationship with us in order to do so. And unfortunately, not every, any, every, every kid's house is offering that. Then it comes to the, to the educators. How do we notice the same way, like uh, as was mentioned before, the, uh, how do we notice the sex trafficking in schools or not sex trafficking in schools, but, uh, but if kids are in those situations or circumstances, the same way as uh, air, uh, airline uh, staff has been trained to it. Why don't we use that knowledge experience wider in our society? Why only they need to take the responsibility to in order to, to start to uh, uh, limit it, no? And there were so many. I'm very, very proud also for Kami uh, Boker for, for sharing her, her very powerful story coming uh, forefront. And uh, it's not easy to share something like that, which which is, um, I'm pretty sure, has changed her life forever. Juju, obviously, Juju, uh, I love you with all my heart. Thank you for sharing. Jess, what a powerhouse. I, I just, uh, and that's what we need. We need everybody's experience, everybody's knowledge, and everybody's awareness about the topic in order to be able to be the change makers for our kids, for our communities. Let's start with our communities. I know we want to change the world, but let's start with our communities first, where we can really impact. And then let's let's move the move the move and shake the world. So uh, absolutely great job, uh, Regeline, uh, Melanie, the whole team, which uh, has been so much effort into it. And um, you guys are just surprising me every time and yes Melanie you're going to see me more <laughs> I'm going to be beside you uh, helping you from the backside as much as I can and you will always have my support so it has been a true honor to listen to all of our speakers thank you very much thank you for taking this time thank you for investing that time into our communities because by showing up by really sharing your, your voice, you have made such a difference in so many lives already just by showing up this morning. So I don't wanna take more time because we have so many wonderful people uh, waiting still to be discovered and their voice shared. So uh, thank you very much and, uh, and God bless you. And when you see those things happening, don't think that it's not your duty to go and report or follow up or yes you can change and you can change that person's life now so uh do it even if you get in trouble for that thank you thank you Ragni. thank you Ragni. so great to see you so real quick another statistic i'm about data <laughs> 40 million people are trapped there are 40 
1.3 million people held against their will in slavery today. $150 billion per year. Slavery is outlawed in every country around the globe, but still the problem persists in 87% of those countries. 71% women and girls are disproportionately affected by forced labor around the world. And one in four children, that's a quarter of all victims of modern slavery are children. So we must protect the most vulnerable. And with that, I'm going to take us to our next sponsor and speaker here, Michael Michael uh, D. Butler, CEO of Beyond Publishing. You see so many of these stories, uh, book publisher and global speaker and media coach. Welcome. We're so honored to have you here in your sponsorship today. Well, I'm so excited to be here, and I've been watching all morning, and I'm just, uh, wow, blown away by these guests. It's tremendous. It's amazing. I didn't realize uh, trafficking was such an issue until about 11 years ago. My wife worked for the local TBN station, and she brought on a guest called uh, Stop Child Trafficking Now. And uh, with that, I'm going to share my screen. And that connected me with Aston Kutcher. He and his wife, uh, Demi, at the time had the DNA Foundation. And um, Twitter, Twitter's a big deal, and I'm going to tell you this. We've heard this a lot about social media today because social media really can make a difference. And uh, we tweeted Ashton about what Stop Child Trafficking was doing, which is now the Demand Project. And when he was the top influencer on Twitter, when Twitter was young 11 years ago, he had 8 million followers. Uh, uh, Gaga wasn't around at the time. Um, he tweeted us. He was only doing one or two tweets a day. He gave us two tweets in one day, and he listed us in one of the lists, which is a big deal. Uh, as a result of that, uh, more awareness and funding happened, and uh, our first author to get a movie deal. This was the first book that was tweeted out on Twitter. Uh, we tweeted this entire book out on human trafficking 11 years ago. That's why I'm on the news here 11 years ago at the local Fox affiliate with the press conference, creating awareness. That was about the time we connected with Truckers Against Trafficking. We were able to get them on CNN and get Stop Child Trafficking now on Fox News. Awareness can happen, and now with social media more than ever, platforms like Clubhouse, reach out to people on Instagram, DM them. There's a number of celebrities wanting to make a difference that are, in fact, making a difference. This was about the time the movie Taken had come out, and we had uh, young people from around the globe that were outraged over what was happening, and they were sharing. They were sharing on social media and creating a movement. And now we realize how powerful books are. We realize how powerful story is. Freedom, the book, is launching in two months. Uh, Cami, you heard from her, uh, is a part of that. Paul Hutchinson's, uh, who Paul Hutchinson, who is uh, the executive producer of the Freedom movie that you'll hear about in a second, is uh, going to be a part of that book as well. So I want to open my calendar so we can jump on a talk about your story and some of you I'm going to be reaching out to because I want you to contribute a chapter in freedom the book because writing a book does establish credibility it does open doors it does get you in media and it does get you on stages so jump on my calendar at meetmichaeld.com I'm so proud of Gigi for hosting this event I'm so proud of her for pursuing her passion and changing lives and impacting people all over the globe, but you got to realize people are busy. Uh, 
And she does a great way of pausing people and giving snackable content so people can hear her message, see what she is doing, and engage with her brand. We've got to be sharp. We've got to be on point. And the speakers today are sharp and on point. They know their stuff. And that's what you want. You want it to deliver. The best way to have your content received is to ask a question. Ask a question. Truckers Against Trafficking put up these decals in the bathroom of these truck stops where girls were being trafficked and there were so many girls rescued. There were so many groups of girls that were rescued with this blitz with truckers against trafficking, creating awareness and having the hotline posted all over the truck stops. In fact, they had a number of the truck stops partner with them to get the message out. But here's what I want to say about your book. If you've got a book idea, if you've got a story, if you're a survivor, or if you're in organizations that's touching lives, 76% of the books in English are bought and read outside the U.S. I put out a video today. It says this is a football because if you live in the U.S., you know a football is a pigskin. It's not round. It's a pigskin. But all over the world, a football is a soccer ball. And you want to realize that your message that you have in your heart, it can resonate globally if you share it with wisdom and finesse. So we're launching Freedom, the book, and our good friend, Paul Hutchinson, who is funded, is the executive producer of Sound of Freedom with very well-known A-list actor Jim Caviezel from The Passion. Stay tuned for more. We'll be announcing this their chapter will be in Freedom the Book. So get on my schedule at meetmichaeld.com. Let's talk about your book idea. Let's talk about your story. Gigi, I want to thank you for this time. I want to applaud you and your staff. You just do an awesome job running these webinars. I'm so proud of you. If you know an organization that's changing lives, if you know a survivor that's got a story that can impact young boys and girls and accentuate the prevention side of trafficking or if you know a media company like sound of freedom that's launching a movie like cammy's movie like michael's movie and media that's changing lives and creating awareness get them on the horn with me get on my calendar at meet michaeld.com. If you're an aspiring author, I've got a lot of great free resources for you at bestsellerstatus.com. The books help thousands write a bestseller at Write Book 60 Days. That's a course, eight module course. Go at your own pace. You'll be done with your book in eight days or eight weeks at your own pace. Main thing, I want to talk to you. I want to connect with you because I want to look in your eye on a Zoom and hear the story you have for the world. So, Gigi, I applaud you and your staff. You're doing a great job. There's my cell phone. You can text me, meetmichaeld.com, to get on my calendar. Thank you so much. Thank you, Michael. Great, great presentation today, folks. Thanks, Michael. I want to turn us over to, to Lakeisha now. She has been a part of all of these panels. And Lakeisha, to give you an opportunity to really talk about your story and what you do. Sure. Hi, everybody. My name is Lakeisha James. 
I am a corporate event planner, event designer, set design for films and plays. And recently I became a speaker. Um, just really, it started last year, just sharing my story um, as far as domestic violence and also dealing with stillbirth in 2012. Um, I definitely want to commend everyone on sharing your story. So many people that need to hear your story. Um, me, you know, you hear about human trafficking, but you never really speak to a person or know a person that actually has been a part of the trafficking. So like I said, I commend all of you for even, you know, showing up, sharing your voice with us, you know, and just educating us on how it can happen, why it happens. And, you know, just sharing your own personal testimonies that, you know, it didn't impact how you are. It didn't, your past didn't impact who you are now and it doesn't impact your future. So I definitely commend you, salute to you, all of you. And I definitely would love to connect with you guys in the future. And thank you again, Gigi, for always, you know, coming up with these amazing events, um, coming, you know, bringing all these amazing speakers and panelists together. You rock on so many levels. Thank you for all you do for just, you know, giving back to the community. Because like I said, everyone needs to know these stories and you pick the perfect speakers to present on each event. So thank you again. And thank you so much, Melanie. <laughs> You're welcome. You know, as my platform is Everyday Leaders, and I really believe that every single one of us, like Michael and Lakeisha and Rogni Hasev, we have a story within us. And it starts with our heart and what we believe. And until we can change that value and belief about ourselves, we don't really know how to show up in the world. And so these are perfect examples today, these types of panels to be able to have you reach deep inside and start to understand who you are so that you can show up bigger and make a bigger impact in the world. So I applaud all of our speakers today and our panelists. And, uh, and Gigi, again, we celebrate you because you have a vision for us to be able to help in some small way. The next panelist here is, oh, I believe, is it Chandra? You bring her up here. Oh. All right. Um, so Chandra Cleveland, President and CEO of Columbia Private Investigations and Security Consultants, where she specializes in assisting women, girls, and children who are victims of crime and train them how not to become victims of crime. Chandra, thank you so very much for joining us. I know you've got such a, a deeper introduction, but this is, uh, we want to let you speak your mind. Thank you so very much for coming today. Hope oh, you're on mute. Thank you so much for having me. I'm sorry about that. Um, this has been a great morning. It's been very fascinating to hear everyone speak. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and get mine in here because I've been waiting for a while and, and to get this out, I just really want to talk about, you know, my years in law enforcement and how sex trafficking nowadays that most people, I guess they see what's going on in law enforcement, but they don't see. Um, and I say that to say this, I've been in law enforcement for a very long time. I got out of law enforcement seeing that I could do more on the other side by showing law enforcement how to empathize with a victim. You know, time and time again, we look at trafficking in the United States and what it looks like, but nobody's really saying what it looks like. So today I'm going to say what it looks like. 
sex trafficking in the United States look like 45% of the victims are African-American. 45% of the victims are African-American. You know, so we see these girls getting in the system, being locked up. And every time you see a juvenile that's locked up, the percentage according to the FBI, these are not percentages I'm making up. According to the FBI, 54% of all the juvenile prostitution arrests are African-American girls. You know, it is, it's over and over again that I see that when things come out such as sex trafficking, everybody is a victim except the victim who's really the victim. So I, I want to say to organizations that are out there, if it wasn't for you guys being out there on top of the game of helping the victims of sex trafficking that looks like me, you know, I, I cannot even, gosh, and I know I need to hold back my tears because I'm so passionate because of everyone speaking. The, the cycle of sex trafficking and how it comes about to law enforcement is one of our biggest issues. We have to get law enforcement to do more. And I know that these organizations are out here, just like people have said earlier, they're out here ready to do the work, but nobody's reaching out. It's not like you can get a sex trafficking victim of an African-American girl and say, um, have you been sex trafficked? Most of us who know and who are on this line, we know that a victim of sex trafficking most of the time do not self-identify as a sex trafficking victim. So you just can't come out and law enforcement said, were you sex trafficking? And she said, no, that's my boyfriend. So now you're going to arrest her because you say that she's an accessory to the fact, not looking at the obvious that this guy is 27, this girl is 15. What about that part? So it is like over and over again, no matter how many conferences we have, no matter how many laws that are placed, it is like you can't get different law enforcement to look at the obvious. The obvious, someone mentioned California a little bit earlier. California's rate for African-American girls being sex trafficked 92% at one point. Louisiana, 89% at one point. We have a high, consistent, um, familiar track record of African-American girls being sent into sex trafficking. Not only who's the vulnerable, who's the most vulnerable people who allege for sex trafficking, we all are. But looking at statistics, even the Black females, African-American female girls that are in areas that say the United States, we only make up 19, 13 to 19% in the United States, but yet we're more likely of 50 something percent to be sex trafficking victims. We need to get the resources where it's needed in the community. But of course, the community of the African-American community, all sex trafficking suspects are African-American. 
So we need to get out there because there are many girls that's out there in the system who have been abused over and over again that they don't know what abuse really is. So we have to be able to get there to talk to victims, to speak to them on a caring level first in order to find out what's going on. We have a young girl right now who was 15 at the time that she was with two older men in a car who they didn't tell her anything. She's being sold for sex on a daily in her community. Everybody sees her with these guys and know what these guys are up to. These guys go out, tell her to drive somewhere, didn't give her details of what's going on. Her name is Shauna Brazard. She's out there, she's sitting in a car Next thing you know, six months later, they were arrested. Now they come six months later, she's now 16, and they arrest her and put her in adult jail. Sex trafficking victims are victimized in African-American community over and over and over again. No, I'm not sitting here saying that African-American girls are the only ones sex trafficking. No, but if you look at the numbers of the statistics, it says that the numbers are outstanding. So I wanna thank all the organizations that are out here doing what they can in order to help these victims. But that's, let's really look deep. Let's really know that we cannot approach a victim and say, are you a victim of sex trafficking? That answer is always going to be mostly no, because they have been, um, it's, it's the Stockholm Syndrome. They think this is their boyfriend. They think they are the number one girl, like he says they are. So they think they're making a profit. So the way that you talk to these victims in order to get them the resources that they need, that is with empathy. That is just to ask them, what have you been going through the past few days? Tell me how your life has been the past few days. I started my organization and retired from law enforcement after 25 years just to be an asset to law enforcement, to let them know this is what's happening out here. This is how you handle it. And Lord knows I know that in law enforcement, they have a whole lot that they have to deal with. But this is why these organizations are out here so that they can partner with law enforcement to help them to identify the victims in sex trafficking and get them the help that they need. The resources are there. We just need to add them to it. What good is all the laws if they're not being implemented? What good is sex trafficking laws if no one there is implementing and we're seeing that the industry of sex trafficking is growing and growing. Now it's almost at $170 billion industry. That's not okay. We need to do better. And on the law enforcement side, when anybody is anywhere in the nation and they have a case, I try to be that softening voice in order to talk to law enforcement and let them see this is how she's a victim. And I'm glad that we here on this platform today are doing just that. This is not to show shame to anyone else, but it's to let you know the victims are there in plain sight. We just need them to be helped. And we're all here doing the same thing of helping them. 
So I thank you for your time. I'm sure I'm probably over my time, but um, I could go on and on when it comes to the stats, but we need to do more in African-American communities and the people who are out there who are supposed to be enforcing the laws in order to help them. Thank you, Chandra. Thank you, Chandra, so much. You know, we just have to remember it starts with us. We have to be aware of what's happening around us. And, you know, these statistics are alarming. And as again, here's another one that I brought up that was posted from February the 25th, just yesterday, right? Uh, case of a former, uh, former attorney convicted of human trafficking under review by Bexar County District Attorney's Conviction Integrity Unit. So this was um, someone that was trading favors for legal services, right? He's getting an 80-year prison term for trading legal services for sex. The case is still under review, but that's the, the conviction, right? So it's so important. Like people are taking advantage because of their, their position of influence. Um, be aware, right? Be aware. This is such a wonderful panel Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for sharing today. Our next speaker and panelist, Alexa Olivia. We welcome her, president of Bawa Studios, Conference Real Demo Sizzle, Legacy and Digital Reels. Thank you for joining us and your assistant Val is here too in case of any technical difficulties. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Alexa Oliva. I'm from Boa Studios. And uh, it's Valerie Leichman that's joining us. She's in Miami in our, in our headquarters. And she is the co-founder uh, of the business as well, of the company. Fantastic. <clears throat> Thank you guys so much for having us. Um, so we actually also founded Motivational Missions, which is a nonprofit that works on empowering children around the world and teaching them about the awareness of various social issues, including human trafficking prevention. And we'd love to show you a, a quick video on exactly what we do. Would that be okay? Yes, ma'am. All right, let's do it, Val. Roll it. Should be coming up in just a second. Our world is broken. There is an epidemic of isolation infecting every corner of the earth. We are all more connected than ever before, yet we are so desensitized that we are not aware of what is happening even next door to us. Everyone feels some sort of disconnection, but most of us are not even aware of what it is that we're lacking. We're not communicating in ways that we innately crave as human beings. We need to have a positive shift. We need to realize how similar we are. And how important we each are to the human race. This group is empowering children. Your dream, no matter how big it is, it's possible. Teaching them that they are not stuck with the hand that they are dealt. You will reap the benefits of the actions that you take in your life. That they can change it. And if they are able to change their own lives, it will ripple out as global change. Everyone here has an opportunity to do something special, not just for your country, but for the world. For the world. For the world. The goal is to build awareness to prevent human trafficking and bullying by teaching leadership, self-confidence, and much more. 
It is time to shift our global viewpoint from an emphasis on things to an emphasis on people. We are welcoming groups of students uh, to be motivated by one of the world's leading uh, motivator, uh, motivational programs. Sometimes people have to reinforce that they are great. He has passion. And this little nonprofit is one of those phenomenal five-star gold standard nonprofits that fights back. I myself felt motivated, although it was for the children. We always showing love year-round to the kids, let them know that it's important to have education. It's all about just getting the message across to everybody because if nobody gives them that message of hope and inspiration, then who will? If you can walk on glass, you can literally do anything you want. You can put your mind to it. I got to walk on glass. I bend the steel. I ate fire. This is the first time I do something like that in my life. This was great, man. This was awesome. Crazy people succeed today. We learn tomorrow to make it happen. What it takes to reach our goals. And to not take money over our dreams. And to follow your dreams and your heart because everything is possible. His message was all about celebrating, celebrating who you are. It's a big takeaway for all the children, even the small ones. The kids seem to really have enjoyed it. I can assure you that it resonated with them. Good things are happening. The most important resource we have on this planet is our children. And the connection between each one of us. This is a movement in human consciousness for our world. We need to come together on a human-to-human -human and grassroots level. It's really about waking up and making a conscious decision of how you're going to live this life. It's up to us to do something about it. I'm making it happen. We're making it happen. We're motivational missionaries right here. We each matter. We are unstoppable. And together, we will make a world of awareness. What we are gonna do? To recognize the human connection. The Human Connection, a world of awareness. Thank you, Val. Thanks for, for um, letting that video play. So that's a little bit of an insight to exactly what it is that we do. Uh, we are about invention and prevention and also creating self-confidence. We believe that if you have self-confidence, that'll steer the, the victimizers away from you. So I wanted to share a quick story on, on the importance of awareness, right? And so we do tours all over the world, as you can see. And um, about two years ago, a year and a half, two years ago, we were invited um, to go to Trinidad to go do some events for the children over there. And we've just finished up our tour. We're there. Sometimes I uh, take my children with me. So I had two of my children and my team and, and some of the liaisons that we had in Trinidad. And at the very end, we finally have a day off. We've done somewhere between three to 5,000 children and, and uh, parents and teachers and around the community. And so we um, had the opportunity to take a day off and go look at the scenes and the sites. And we get a phone call, a very serious phone call. And they say that it's national security of Trinidad um, and immigration, and they would like us to go to their offices immediately. And we're like, oh my gosh, what do they want? They're like, well, we don't know, but they would like you to go to the office. 
And so I looked at the liaison. I said, is it necessary for us to go today? And she's like, yes. And I said, well, where is it? She says, it's in Port of Spain. That's like a two and a half hour drive. I'm like, holy cow. All right. So we got to get over there. We got to get over there quickly. So we piled everybody up. Our driver starts driving. We're halfway there. And he said, did you bring your passports? We're like, uh, no, we didn't bring the passports. He's like, you should have brought your passports. I'm like, holy cow. We're very nervous getting over there. And um, so we get a lot of things happen in between that, but we get over to the national security office and we go inside the elevators open up and it's like 30 degrees. We're like, it's in Trinidad. It's like a hundred degrees outside, but it's 30 degrees inside their office. We're like, this is bizarre. And we look to our left and there's some officers there waiting for us and signaling us to go through the door. We go through that door, get to another door, more officers signaling us to go into that door. So we go into that door and we get into a big conference room. And they tell us to have a seat, but no one will talk to us. No one's greeting us. No one's telling us what's going on. We don't know why we're there. We're very nervous. And so we all sit down and they said, you got to wait for the chief. Mm-hmm. And so finally, after like a 10 minute wait, the chief walks in, says hello, very friendly and sits down at the head of the table. And she says, why are you guys here in Trinidad? And we're like, um, well, and so I tell her, listen, we're part of a motivational missions. We're doing this. We're doing that. And she says, well, why didn't you tell us that you were coming? And I said, well, we did. We sent you emails. We did phone calls, but no one returned our calls. No one, um, you know, got back to us. And she says, what is this about? And she holds up a newspaper article um, that says um, the traffickers are here for your organs. And she says, what, what were you talking about? Because the press interviewed us and we come out on television and all of the newspapers all over the country. And I said, well, that's not exactly what I said. Uh, they just want to sensationalize it. And, uh, and so, you know, we all start engaging and she says, you know what, you should have really come to us and let us know that you're here because we just want to help. And I was like, what? Well, you could have started there. <laughs> and um, she says, the reason that I called you guys in is because the, uh, of all the news media press that you've been getting. But I am also, I got awarded by John Kerry. He had a task force for human trafficking or something like that. And she was awarded by that. Um, for all the services against human trafficking prevention she had done in Trinidad. So she shows me the newspaper article um, of her coming out and receiving the award. And I said, can I take a picture? No one is ever going to believe this. This is like unreal. And she said, of course. And next time that you come, you know, here's these officers and this one's in charge of this and we're going to help you out. We said, okay, this is fabulous. So um, we walk out, we take a picture with her staff and our team and my children. And it was wonderful. So we got to leave Trinidad nice and safe. And right afterwards, because of what we were doing in Trinidad, we started getting death threats because we were digging into the human traffickers pockets. So when we are working with prevention and awareness, letting them know, because we want to get them to a space where they um, don't, don't become victims. So they don't become prey so that they have the self-confidence because you know what self-confidence does? it steers the the traffickers away from them because you're not an easy target at that point. So that's what we like to do. We like to teach them leadership, um, uh, self-awareness. And when you're teaching them that, that in in essence is prevention. So that's the lane that we like to stay in. And, and, you know, there's three very important things that a friend of mine just taught me. Uh, I, I apologize that I didn't have the background, but I'm in a live conference, actually a live conference in New Orleans right now. And, um, but a, a friend of mine just taught me that it is really good to stay aware, awake, and conscious. And I was like, well, you know, exactly what does that mean? She's a psychoanalyst. And she says, well, you know what? When you're aware, you know what's going on. 
And so the very first thing for us in motivational missions was to let people know there's a danger out there. I had no clue. Val and I were uh, on the board of the Miami Beach Chamber of Commerce when Homeland Security came in and told us that South Florida was number three in human trafficking. I was like, oh my gosh. And then they said they have children between the ages of 12 and 14 were the primary target audience who were like, what? I got two of those at home. So Val asked the agent he, at Homeland Security, how do, how, how do we participate and make sure that this doesn't happen to our children? How do, how do we teach? Because we've already been doing something in that arena pre, uh, previous to the um, uh, nonprofit. And he said, we don't have funds for that. We're about uh, first responders and maybe some key uh, community people, but we don't have the funds for that. And Val and I look at each other and we're like, we gotta do something. And that's when we activated and became a 501c3. And so we like to teach awareness and prevention by teaching them. Yes, we make them aware of the dangers of what, what, what can happen, what are the key indicators? And we bake it in with fun. Because when you're having fun, when you're dancing, you're more open to that. So once we get them there, we're teaching them the leadership, the self-confidence, and then baking in the awareness and the things that they need to know to stay safe. Because you know what it's about? It's about being a hero in your own life. And that's what people don't know. They're always expecting someone else to come in and save them. When you have what it takes to save yourself, to protect yourself, and those are the things that we want to instill in children, in communities, in parents, in people, in victims, in everyone that comes near us. We want them to be the heroes in their own lives because that's what you are and that's what people don't understand. What do you got to say, Val? <laughs> Sorry to hog it up. <laughs> um, no, that's exactly what we do. We want everybody to get in touch with their own power within themselves so that they know that they're not stuck with the hand that they're dealt, that they can get out of where they are. And if they are able to tap into their own power, they can really accomplish anything. And just being aware of what the dangers are out there, you're gonna be less likely to become a victim. And the fact that we put everything in their language with fun, it makes it much easier for the kids to actually take in the information because we are not their parents. We're not, you know, the authority figures. We're letting them have fun and they're able to actually learn in the process. One of the uh, important key factors that we do in, in when we're doing the live assemblies is that we make sure to let to let them know what are the local resources that they have. Since we're jumping around from city to city and country to country, mm -hmm. we need to know what the local resources are so that, so that they can reach them if, any, if they have any emergencies. And it's helped because we've had people that have come up to us after one of our sessions and, and, and the girls, it was a group of girls in, in, in Jamaica, they came up to us and they were like, listen, we think that one of uh, her family members is actually pushing her towards, towards trafficking or like, well, yeah, the community children are. You could be living at home and still be a victim. You have to report somewhere or they got you threatened. And so those are the things that we're teaching them, what to look out for, what are the red flags? You know what, it may not activate. And here in the United States, of course, we have that, if you see something, say something. And so we're, we're letting them know, you, you don't have to stay quiet. You can save lives by just pointing it out to someone. You can, there are resources here, especially here in the US, there are resources that can help you. We've seen it, Val and I are part of the human uh, South Florida Human Trafficking Task Force, and we go to meetings regularly where we're there with all kinds of law enforcement, 
all kinds of NGOs, all kinds of people that are willing to help, information that's out there, people that are risking themselves to make sure how they can position themselves within each community to make sure that we can eradicate this horrific, horrific plague around the world. Yeah, and then we also teach the children how to protect themselves online since so many of the victims are becoming victimized by online apps. We actually even have a um, an info sheet if you're interested on getting the 21 apps that you need to be aware of that can be dangerous for, um, for children. If you go to mmtor.org, you can learn more about our, our organization. But if you go to mmtor.org forward slash 21 apps, you can actually get an info sheet on specifically 21 apps that a lot of traffickers are using to get information on children, use it against them, and to actually get them to become victims. I think that's important, especially because in some of our meetings, you know, uh, in the task force meetings, we've been able to hear uh, actual cases, what's going on, how they got caught. And I remember Val and I had an opportunity to speak to an FBI agent that was in charge of the social media division. And he was saying that and this was a couple of years ago, remember Val, uh, that he said that 63% of victims are fished right out of social media. And we're like, what? And he's like, absolutely, 63% of them are lured in through social media. And we're like, wow, this has got to change. And so right now, Val and I are in the process of launching a program called Under 21. So it's going to be news for teens by teens. And uh, we are laying down the foundation for that because we are going to report the important things that are in there that they need to know. But it's going to be in their language, uh, on their platforms, delivered by them and the different types, the diversification of children that we have now. Because, you know, you have the gamers and you have uh, the YouTubers and you have the fashionistas and the jocks and the cheerleaders. And so we want to have an array of diversity reporting these things in their language because you know yesterday I was having a conversation with someone and I was like I don't even know what the terms are today you know to to speak to to the youth uh, especially in this past year because every couple of months those terms change because the adults find out about them so they shift the words again and so what are they we don't know and that's why in order to be in the know uh, in the awareness, we need to get educated and really listen to what our children are saying, what our communities are saying, what our victims are saying. You really need to pay attention and just become aware of what's happening in your own community. And a lot, I, one of the, the things that people tell me, and we hear quite often, Val and I, when we're doing our, our live assemblies is, I don't have any children. Why, you know, how does this affect me? You know what? It affects everybody. Because if you live in a community somewhere in the world, which we all do, doesn't matter where you live, you live in a community of some sort, it affects, it can not, not affect that you don't have children, but you might have a neighbor, you might have a brother, a sister, a niece, a nephew, a grandchild, whatever, you can have someone that's directly related to you. And suppose that you, are, you have no one, you have absolutely no one around you, it's part of your community. And when we have victims, we need to take care of our victims. And those are community resources. So no matter what, you're going to end up paying it for anyways. And you know what else is going to happen? You're going to have that energy of someone that's hurt and beat down and given up on life as your next door neighbor. Mm -hmm. And you have to take care of that one way or another. And why would we want that? We need positive energy around us. We need to show people that you can live in this beautiful world and enjoy this beautiful journey. 
Yeah, that is why it's so important to have events like this. And thank you so much, Gigi, for putting on this event and bringing all of these powerful people together so that more people can know about what's going on and help make a difference. And all those brave people that have been here sharing their stories, thank you. We are honored that you have the courage to come in here and let us know about these stories and how it affects us and what we can do about it. And what a blessing it is in this world to have people like Gigi that can take such a big part of their lives and put it out there and share with the world what needs to be shared, what we need to know, how we can grow together and unite together uh, so that we can make this journey beautiful. Thank you, Alexa and Val. Thank you so much for sharing. You know, one quote I won't forget today is be your own hero, right? Be your own hero. So important. We talk about that in leadership so much and we forget it starts with us. And so we can totally save ourselves. One other thing that you said, Alexa, that I think rung home was I don't have children, but I do have lots of nieces and nephews and I see how they're reacting to social media And it is so important that we understand these apps. I'm downloading that right now. I'm going to go there and get those apps and make their parents and grandparents aware because it's just that one thing, right? They get influenced in a certain way. And so I appreciate everything that you just talked about and shared. And thank you very much. Um, Before we go on to our next speaker, I just want to share another statistic, right? So here are things to look for. And, um, And this came from the Stop Human Trafficking website. But some examples, if you're looking for things to recognize, excessive deposits in big amounts, $50, $150, $200, in people that you are afraid, right, you're suspicious of, look for things that are abnormal in their life. Um, Deposits that are timed between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m., right, in the middle of the night. Large denominations of deposits um, in multiple cities, right? So if they're getting things from multiple cities, check their accounts, like just be aware and be engaged in those that you care about, because that could be a sign, right? That could be a sign. Our next speaker and panelist today, Madison uh, Marquette, human trafficking advocate. We are so honored to have you here with us today. Thank you for joining us and sharing your story. Thank you. It's so powerful. Just everyone sitting here listening. It's just been amazing. Um, we, I've heard a lot of reference um, within regards to porn and um, how trafficking gets through um, in the porn industry. So I actually was trafficked through the adult film industry and the porn industry. Um, I was trafficked for almost a decade owned by Derek Hayes of LA Direct Models, who has since been um, indicted. Uh, my journey was people don't like to talk about what I'm about to talk about because I'm about to talk about celebrities. They don't want to touch the topic because people love celebrities and they love their politicians and they cling to it because it's something that we grew up with. Well, when I was trafficked, I was bought and sold by the elite of Hollywood, Tom Hanks, George Soros, Jeremy Piven names that people don't, that the news won't cover names that no, no, basically articles, let's say Washington Post, New York Times, anyone, they will not cover these stories because it has to do with celebrities. People always ask me, how can you be speaking out against them? And I always say, if I were not being truthful, then they would be suing me for defamation. And I have yet to be sued by any one of these celebrities because it's the truth of what I'm speaking. And they know the evidence that I have on them 
from trafficking me. I think that that is such a huge issue and we need to bring awareness because it is the porn industry is out there. I mean, you can upload it for free. You can upload the abuse for free. Um, we talked about domestic violence. Men can use that and rape their wives and post it on Pornhub and different, uh, like different sites. So we're taking these sites and using it for abuse. I mean, my abuse is out there. It's been out there for almost a decade. I can't get it out. I can't get it off. It costs hundreds of thousands of dollars to get my abuse and my rapes off of online. Um, one of the other things that I want to bring up that um, I've heard as well is as survivors, we are put in a box and we are told you can only do certain things and you can only, a lot of these organizations and I've come across it myself where they'll say, well, you need to be a hairdresser because that's the only thing that you can do, or you can only be this, or you can only be that. Well, I'm here to tell you, we can be anything that we want to be. We don't have to be stuck in a victim stance. And that's where a lot of organizations, a lot of different people that are advocating for human trafficking survivors put us in this victim stance. And it's let's first one, stop referring to us as victims. We're survivors. Okay. We're not victims. We survived horrific, horrific abuse. We survived horrific rapes, torture. I was enslaved. I couldn't leave. I mean, I survived that and I came on the other side of it. When I went looking for help, um, and it's funny because Jess was on here on the panel and she was a part of my story way back when, when I was looking for help. Um, and we were put in a box back then. We're still put in a box now of that we can't be anything. Well, I, am, I was trafficked for almost a decade. I was arrested when I got out um, and I was raped over and over by law enforcement in the jail for over 70 days. When I got out, I was told you can't do anything. You have a, a record. There's you just go be a hairdresser is what I was told. And I was like, that's not what I want to do. Here I am almost a decade later of being out. I'm a law student. I am advocating for every woman and child. I'm out doing um, rescues. I'm doing combat training. I want every single person, every survivor, girl, man, woman, boy, whatever, that we can do whatever the heck we want and no one can put us in a box. And so I just, to me, it's been difficult seeing some of these organizations. I think Cami is one of the first organizations um, that I have spoken with, that I have done podcast with, because she's actually making a difference and she does the survivor care. And that's the other thing as well is the survivor care and the aftermath is we do need to be in therapy. We do need to be with a therapist that can teach us what those triggers are, how we can deal with civilian life, how we can continue to move forward um, in life normally because triggers for us are different than a normal civilian that might not have been either prostituting themselves or trafficked, which it's all a form of trafficking, right? It doesn't matter. We're being bought and sold and women and children, humans in general are not meant to be bought and sold uh, without our consent. And the one thing that I'm going to say, and then I'll, I'll kind of give it back to you because I don't know, I, I see the timer, but I'm not sure how much time I have. Um, but one thing that I think is huge, and you will always hear me tell um, in my story is no one can get through this life without God. And he is my savior. He is my everything. And if it weren't for God having to hold on me from a little girl to now, I would have killed myself a long time ago. I would have 
done whatever to not live this life. And here I am today as a testimony to say, we can be whatever the heck we want. We don't have to be put in a box. Um, you know, I also wrote a book. I, it's called My Father's Daughter, A Memoir of a Porn Star. Again, our dreams can be whatever we want. And I think that's when people are helping survivors, it's to listen to them because they have dreams. They just don't know that they're allowed to have those dreams because we're told you need to go have sex with this person or you're going and getting gang raped or you are being bought and sold by these elite of Hollywood. I think Juju um, had mentioned it too. She was in that world as well of celebrities, not all celebrities are good. Some of these celebrities that are saying they have anti-trafficking organizations are not helping. They are part of the problem. And I'm going to tell you right now, I will not until, until the day I die, I will do everything I can to stop them, bring awareness and make sure every survivor knows that they're not a victim. They're a survivor and they can be whatever the heck they want. So thank you. Thank you, Madison. Wow. <laughs> that was a lot, Madison. <laughs> You're amazing. And congratulations for your journey because you were just starting. You know, finding your voice and then sharing your voice is so important for other survivors to be able to say it matters and you care and you're worthy and you can make a difference. So, yes. And that's the big thing is we are worthy. And I think, and even worthy of love, we're worthy of so much. And I think that that's stolen from us from some as a child up until adulthood. And it's that we, and it's kind of like Michael had spoke about, uh, we are worthy and to walk into that divine love and not this twisted love that was told to us that this it's twisted, that sex is love because sex is not love at all. Change the narrative, change that narrative. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing. Uh, all right. So this was published on January 29th, 2021. This says the Department of Justice today commemorates the 10th annual National Slavery and Human Trafficking Prevention Month and declares a continued commitment to combating human trafficking in all forms. I'd like to introduce our next panelist, Mary Kay Holmes. She's a number one international best-selling author, UN ambassador, motivational speaker, empowerment specialist, mentor, certified life coach, and a New York City tax attorney. Dr. Mary Kay Holmes is living out her assignment to inspire everyone she encounters. Described as the comeback queen, she's determined to share the good news that you can come back from every setback. As a motivational speaker, Dr. Holmes is sought after trusted authority on life after adversity and women's empowerment. A survivor of domestic abuse, molestation, rape, human trafficking, prostitution, incarceration, and multiple suicide attempts, Dr. Holmes speaks from her heart concerning real life issues and the plague that women all over the globe have. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate this opportunity. Um, as you heard, um, I'm Mary Kay Holmes, author, coach, podcaster, advocate, speaker, and I also serve as in-house tax counsel for a, a global uh, insurance and investment firm in New York City. I'm also a board member for Dignity for Incarcerated Women uh, for Dream Core Justice under the leadership of CNN's Van Jones. And as you heard, I'm a survivor of multiple traumas. 
Um, I'm also the founder of a global movement, Outlive the Labels, where we help survivors of trauma share their stories and support advocacy efforts fighting human trafficking. So thank you, Gigi, for this space and opportunity to share my story. And I appreciate everyone who has spoken before me and that's gonna come after me. This is such a, this is a needed, a much needed conversation. And so I'm gonna share a little bit about, um, about my story and kind of take you on the journey of my survival. I wanna ask you a simple question. What's the worst thing that ever happened to you as a kid? Well, for me, at four years old, I was molested by an older male relative and my family had no clue what was going on. And I was afraid to tell someone because I had a fear of getting into trouble. Uh, what was being done to me, it felt good. And I was just a baby. And because I enjoyed it, I thought I was doing something bad. And this continued throughout my early childhood years. And so by the time I was 12, I lost my virginity. And at 14, I was pregnant. And at the age of 15, I became a victim of human trafficking. But because of the lack of awareness and education, I didn't discover what it was until the age of 38. And like Chandra said earlier, most victims don't self-identify and I'm a living witness of that. I was working on my job as a teenager at a local Baskin Robbins and this older man came in and he started to flirt with me and he would buy smoothies from me and I was flattered because he was older, he wore fancy clothes and jewelry and every time he paid for his $2 and some change smoothie, he would pull out this big wad of cash. And I was being groomed, prepped and primed and I didn't even know it. What my trafficker was doing at the time, he was slowly recruiting me and dangling the carrot of money, clothes, and the promise of an escape from poverty as a means to trap and control me. And sure enough, one day he came to my job at his usual time, flirted, bought his smoothie, pulled out the cash, but he said something that would forever change the course of my life. He said, what if you could make more money in one day than you can make working an entire week on this job? And so from that day forward, I started working with him, hustling in the streets, and soon he had me transporting kilos of cocaine, purchased for about $15,000 to $20,000 a piece. We called them bricks because they would weigh about two pounds. And we would drive from New Haven, Connecticut to the Bronx, meet up at a restaurant, and the dealer would slip the cocaine into my backpack under the table. And the unspoken rule was that if we were ever to get caught, I would take the rap. And it was my job to hold the drugs until we got back to his apartment in, in Connecticut where he taught me how to cook the Coke, turn it into crack, break it up, weigh it out, bag it up and distribute it on the streets of New Haven, Connecticut. He took me out to eat, wined and dined me, took me to the movies, showed me a good time. And I, so I went from being the girl who wore the outdated clothes and had to shop at the Goodwill to find brand name outfits to now having to go, being able to go on shopping sprees and wear different gold necklaces and I had a different ring for every finger. I could pick and choose what I wanted to wear on any, any given day. It was a completely change, a complete change of lifestyle for me. And I was just a high school student. And this continued from the age of 15, 16. And by the time I was 17, I was pregnant by him. And he became more and more aggressive and controlling. And many of you may be asking the question, where were your parents? Well, I never got a chance to meet my dad. I didn't know him at the time. And my mother had married a man who had become an alcoholic and a crack addict. 
So they were separated at the time. And so my mother, she's working long hours and she's trying to piece her life back together and provide for us. But she was also a strict parent. She was, <laughs> she was very strict. So she knew I was seeing someone because this strange truck would pull up, drop me off, and he would be gone before I would even enter the house. And she would ask like, okay, I need to meet whoever this is that is picking you up, dropping you off from school. I need to know who they are. And so what my trafficker did, he paid a young teenage boy to pretend to be him, drove up in his truck to my mother's house, went inside, met her, had a conversation with her. And so that way, every time this truck would pull up, she assumed it was that same nice young man that she had a conversation with in her living room. Again, I was a teenager and he was in his late 30s. So by this time he's 38 years old and I was no match for his manipulation. So as time went on, he isolated me from my friends and my family, turned me against my loved ones. And he made it seem as if he was my only support system. All the while he was using me to do his dirty work, transport his drugs and eventually trapped me inside of his small one bedroom apartment. And that was about approximately an hour and a half from my mother's house. But I didn't even know where I was. I was pregnant, I had no driver's license, I didn't even know how to get back to my mom, but I was so afraid of him that I was, I, I didn't cry out for help. So he forced me to stay confined in this tiny apartment. And so I understood back then what it felt like to be under quarantine long before this pandemic. I was forbidden to leave the house, the apartment complex that he lived in, it had a door that would lock behind you. So if you didn't have a key or the code to get back in, you would stay locked out. I was forbidden to use the phone. Um, I couldn't answer the phone. He had a cell phone forwarded to his pager. This is how long ago it was, I'm dating myself. Uh, this was before internet. So we didn't have a computer in the house. There were no cell phones back then. So I had no other means of communicating with the outside world and the phone was right there. But I was afraid to use it because he had put so much fear in me. I would sit at the window in this small apartment and watch people come and go. He would leave me without food in the house. I remember having to open up a can of tuna fish and I'm pregnant at this time, open up a can of tuna fish and eat that to be able to get through the night. I had to ration my food. And so he lived on this busy road, Route 66 in Middletown, Connecticut. And it was a scary feeling not knowing how or when I was gonna be able to get out from under this man's control. So by the time um, I was 17, this is where I was and no one knew how to get to me. And this relationship continued for seven long years. And it, it grew increasingly violent and eventually I became brainwashed. And the day I finally conjured up the courage to escape, uh, he came home earlier than usual and I was trying to get my things out of the house. And so in retaliation, he violently beat me in front of our son. And when he got tired of using his fist, he took off his Timberland boot and started to beat me with that. When I ran to get the phone to call the police, he snatched it, threw it, broke it. When I ran to the neighbor's house, I asked him to call the police for me. They refused to get involved. But he saw that I was determined to get out and because of the fear he had of the police and fear of being arrested, he let me leave. And I would love to say that my life took a turn for the best after that, but no, I was so broken. I was so traumatized that I was re-victimized when I ran into the arms of a pimp who abused me and had me prostituting and dancing in strip clubs. The cycle of trauma that I experienced, it led to me making some really bad choices which led to depression, multiple suicide attempts, homelessness, and eventually serving time in state prison. And it was during that time that I had this awakening, this epiphany that 
because of my trauma, I started to appreciate the value of time. When I was locked away in that small apartment complex with my trafficker, I learned the value of time. When I was trapped in that seven year abusive relationship, I started to learn the value of time. And when I was sitting in that prison cell, I learned the value of time. And upon my release from prison, I decided I had no time to waste. I had to hit the ground running and I decided that education was gonna be my key to transformation and my key and my escape from poverty. When I made that decision, everything that I had chased in the world started to come and sit at my feet because I got focused, I got determined, I got victory over self-pity. And I also understood that I had to get up and get moving despite my mistakes in life, despite what happened to me, I had to realize it was a new day. And if I wanted to dust myself off and start fresh, I had to own my story and be unapologetic about my past. So I re-enrolled in college, I graduated with my bachelor's in psychology, and after that I had the audacity to apply to law school in spite of my rap sheet. And after being accepted into law school, I offered a full scholarship and later rejected because of my criminal record, my life changed when I persisted and was accepted into a better law school. Paid for, they paid for my first year's tuition and I got scholarships every year thereafter. I graduated, passed the bar on my first attempt, and now I'm in-house counsel for a major New York City insurance and investment firm. Today, I have dedicated my life to helping others by launching Outlive the Labels, a global movement with the mission to spread awareness of human trafficking, support survivors of trauma, and amplify the voices of those unknown, unseen, unheard. Through my collaborative book projects, I also titled them Outlive the Labels. I empower survivors to share and write and publish their stories and become authors for the first time in many cases. I've committed my life to snatching people from the grips, grips of trafficking, elevating, and causing awareness to this grave issue because like me, there are other people that are unaware that they too are being trafficked. I wanna to continue to spread this message of hope, resiliency, and the ability to bounce back from trauma. And I hope to one day put this story even on film so that I can reach an even broader audience and snatch the covers off this ugly truth so it can stop being hidden in plain sight. I serve as a mentor for at-risk teen girls alongside the Chef Jeff Project and also through my nonprofit Outlive the Labels to support this program that I'm doing. You can stay connected with me and follow me on all social media at Hear Mary Speak. I'm also on Clubhouse and you can go to my website, marykatehomes.com where you'll find my first memoir, Stripped, A Journey from Rejection to Redemption and also my latest book, Trapped in Plain Sight, The Unfamiliar Face of Human Trafficking. I'm available to speak moderate and curate stories of survival and whatever I can do to continue to further this cause of awareness and education and break people from this ugly cycle, I'm here to help. Thank you so much for this great opportunity to share with you all today. Thank you. Mary Kay. Wow, I have chills. I just can't even describe just listening to you, the empathy that I have for everything that you went through and a survivor, what a survivor really looks like is you empowering others. Oh, I just, I want to give you a big hug right now. <laughs> Congratulations on just showing up. You know, one thing that I wrote down is everybody's looking for a quick fix, right? And so like so many people have described today, you think it's safe and it's trusting and you figure it out because you don't know what you don't know when you're that age. And so when you get involved so young and in your course and preyed upon, um, you have to be so careful, and, and it is our job now, right, as a community to be able to educate those in our lives that we care about, that we can reach out to. Thank you so much, Mary Kay. 
Oh, all right. Here we go on to a really amazing person in my life. I'm so glad that she joined us here on this panel um, as someone that can help us in our journey, in everyone's journey. And she's also going to help us with the Q&A. And so I want to give her an opportunity right now. Jeannie Holtzbacher is um, one of my team members from the John Maxwell team. That's how I met her. And I said to Gigi, you really need to connect to Jeannie because there's some power in her journey. And, and I didn't really know this until just recently. So I want to introduce my friend to you. Jeannie is a passionate healthcare executive currently navigating the journey from people-pleasing to courageous living with conversations that count. Conversations that count. It's what we're all talking about today. She's committed to helping those rescued from trafficking rise up as an empowered business leader in their community and beyond. And Jeannie, thank you for sharing your story today. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to hear all these stories. And I actually was never planning on being involved with human trafficking. I was on my way to a relaxed and privileged lifestyle when the bottom dropped out from under me. And one day, seven years into my marriage, I'm in the hospital finding myself holding my husband as he takes his last breath. And uh, after he passed away, I lost everything, my home, my business, my chance to be a mother. And guess what? The day before the funeral, I found out, that's why Madison's story resonates so much with me, that it was all due to a growing porn addiction. This was a pillar in the community and a good man. This was not a bum on the street. Statistically, this is a is ravaging our men and women in the global community in ways we don't understand. And we, we minimize it and we make excuses. Boys will be boys. No, this is a spiritual, emotional, and physical epidemic. This is bigger than COVID. And um, so I had to build my life and start over. And mine is a journey of forgiveness and empowerment. Um, after I found all this out, I was heartbroken. And then I found a journal that he wrote a six page journal confessing everything. And I saw the other side. I didn't just see the stench. I saw the brokenness of a man who had bought into the lies that we feed our men. And so I decided that day to take my hero, Corey Ten Boom's essence and do forgiveness. You know, she was a Nazi concentration camp survivor. And after she got out, her, her sister before she died said, you've got to get out, Corey, and tell people the truth that no matter what the pit is, there is no pit that is so deep that God is not deeper still. So she was speaking in a church on forgiveness one day, and a bunch of people were coming up thanking her, and an arm extended out, and she recognized the voice, and he said, what a powerful message on forgiveness, Fraulein. And she looked into the eyes of one of the prison guards from Auschwitz that she had to walk past naked every day. And she said to my, herself, do I forgive or don't I? He was a changed man and she decided she did. And I'm like, if it's good enough for Corey, it's good enough for my God, it's good enough for me. Forgiveness was an instant decision. The journey was a process. And then a couple years after that, I found myself overseas on a very powerful trip working with a, a, an international school. And there were kids from the orphanage coming across and these beautiful girls. And when they went back at the end of the day, I found out from the headmaster that that orphanage became a brothel after dark. And I was powerless to do anything about it. Machine guns around in a foreign country. And I made a decision that day. I drew a line in the sand and I said, never, ever will I be in a position again that I can't make a difference here. 
never. And so I went to a seminar and found out the link between um, porn and the link between trafficking and how it's all so deeply tied in together. And I work with Fortune 100 companies and high-level executives, teaching them how to speak better, teaching them how to lead better, teaching them how to put their dreams to the test. And I said, after meeting a few trafficking survivors, these women are resilient. These women are amazing. And I'm going to use those business tools in any way I can to help rise them up and build them up. I would put them next to any one of my Fortune 100 CEOs any day. And so that's my plan is to use some of the resources that Mel and I had together to really not just give it to the Fortune 100s, but why not give it to them? They're going to be such difference makers because they're survivors. And so that's just an overview and a nutshell of my story. I had to go 3,000 miles away to an orphanage to learn what's going on 30 miles away in my backyard. So... That's kind of an overview of how I got into it. I didn't go looking for it. It found me. And um, I am forever changed because of it. Thank you, Jeannie. You say you have to go so far away. It just, it resonates with every single person's story. How far do you have to go to find yourself? Mm -hmm. How far do you have to go? And it's so important because we say there, you know, how, how, when's that, What's that click, right? When, when do you connect the dots? When do you say, that's the purpose of this? This is what I was supposed to learn. And this is what I was supposed to pay attention to. And, and it's for all of us, right? We all have our own journeys. And so it, it is just so valuable. The label of forgiveness isn't something you just say. It's something you do. And it's powerful when it happens and you can show up in that space. Everything else in your world changes. So... Thank you so much for sharing and I just love you <laughs> and I appreciate you being a part of this so much. I well, I got to tell you, Mel, you and Gigi are big, big global difference makers and I'm grateful to be a part of it. Thank you. Thank you. I, I know you were going to, we asked uh, and you said yes. And so we had some questions that were from the panelists and others. And so we would love for you to help us just lead through those question and answers here. And we've got some of the panelists that are going to respond. So uh, Lakeisha, thanks for coordinating this. And, uh, and Gigi, I'll, I'll thank you again. And Jeannie, I will turn it over to you to take this away. Thank you so much. The first question is for Madison Marquette, and it's from Daniela Liscio. And it is, what are the key factors that need to change in the United States to reduce the number of human trafficking victims? I think that there's a couple things that are the key factors. Um, one is that our law enforcement has no clue. Or if they do, I mean, it sounds crazy, but they really don't. Or they're involved in it. And um, at our local levels, what I have noticed is a lot of public corruption. And what that term means is that they are basically committing crimes against us. Or just, I think some other people had mentioned, I mean, that give me a blowjob and I won't arrest you or do these certain things. Um, I know, for example, in the city that I live in, there are two district attorneys. One is supposed, their husband and wife, one is supposed to prosecute the um, traffickers, 
But what happens is his wife turns around and prosecutes the victims. And so I think that there needs to be a lot of more accountability for at our local levels in trafficking. I think that there needs to be awareness. Um, they mentioned you cannot, if I did not know what human trafficking, those two words meant when I was being trafficked, I didn't know until my therapist said you were trafficked, you were owned. And so bringing awareness around that as well, um, and around the domestic violence and trafficking all goes hand in hand with the abuse too. I know that even this past year, I've met multiple women who were victims of domestic violence and let's just say survivors, cause I hate that term victim, but they were survivors of domestic violence, but they got charged with DV and they were the ones that were being abused. And so I think it's just bringing awareness around and then fighting back and fighting at our local levels. I think that's the biggest thing and building a community in your local levels, whatever city and state that you are in. So we can make a difference and keep these police officers accountable. I mean, I support our police. Don't get me wrong, but I also would never call 911. So, I mean, I think bringing awareness and bringing that trust back to the people and these officers and these district attorneys, because unfortunately there's a lot of public corruption around it. So I think it's just bringing awareness um, at the local level. Thank you so much. That, that was awesome. And so I, it, you really just hit on it. It's, it takes courage to, takes courage to move forward on this, doesn't it? Absolutely. And that's the thing. I mean, I um, am actually a part of a public corruption thing here where I am at and I'm, multiple actually well it started with probation officers that got fired there was like maybe like 30 something that got fired for their public corruption and so i like this is where our fight starts it's not an easy fight i mean and cammy can attest um you know when i've been speaking out i've gotten pulled over um i've gotten pulled out of the car and beat up in front at the time i my three-year-old um to keep me from being speaking out but here's the thing is they know that we're powerful and survivors and the ones that are fighting this we are the most powerful because we have our stories and we know the knowledge of how sick they are so we just have to learn how to use their sick twisted mind against them that's the whole reason why I wanted to be in law school and take the bar exam so I can fight against it. So yes, it's not, it's not an easy fight, but if we all come together and we stop fighting and stop saying, well, it's this and that, and human trafficking is this, it's like, no, let's come together and let's put a stop to it because we can, because we're so powerful to do it. And the constitution protects us. I don't think people even realize that the constitution protects every single human being against these officers and corrupt district attorneys and judges. Wow. Thank you so much. Our next question is for Jess Richardson, and it is also from Daniela Liskio. And the question is, how would you grade the human trafficking response and protocols here in the US? What do we do well and what do we not do well? Hi, can you all see me? Yes. Okay, yes, I was getting messages and I, yeah, I don't know, hi. <laughs> Hello. Um, as far as what the U.S. does well and what doesn't, actually, in my opinion, I feel like we've gone backwards in a lot of ways. And anytime we're moving more towards 
criminalizing people who are the victims of crimes, we have a problem. So since some of the laws surrounding trafficking have come into place over the last 20 years, um, it's actually written the U.S. definition of trafficking, specifically sex trafficking, is written in such a way that anyone who is engaged in any form of prostitution, any form of selling sex is considered trafficked, which means we have people who are being charged with trafficking themselves. We have minors who are being trafficked, who are also being charged with trafficking. And so it really, um, I feel in a lot of ways we've gone backwards and we, and it's be once a governor does coke off your breasts when you're a teenager, it really changes your view of society and authority. We really need to dismantle this in every single one of the systemic issues that we see in society, from racism to injustice to criminal criminalization. The number of people that are behind bars for being the victim of a crime is absolutely insane, which is why the very first thing for me is really defining the language, because we can't just throw these terms around because it's causing people to go to jail, to prison, spending decades and decades life behind bars for being the victim of a crime. Wow. Wow. You have quite a perspective for us. <laughs> keeping it short. I'm doing my best. <laughs> well, thank you so much for answering that question. Thank you. Our next question is from Daniela Liskio, and this is for Ms. Chandra Cleveland. In the interest of trying to get help to victims sooner, what can law enforcement do to get victims to disclose they are actually victims in the course of everyday law enforcement contacts? For example, let's say a victim is in a car which law enforcement has stopped for a traffic violation with or without the trafficker. What can law enforcement do to encourage the victim to disclose what is happening to them so they can get help? Okay, first to treat them like they are a person. Um, have the empathy there when they stop them, ask them simple questions. First of all, before you ask them anything as law enforcement, greet them. Greet the person who you're approaching. And you ask her, is everything okay? Okay, I was just looking at some things and it looked kind of strange. I wanted to make sure that no one is making you do anything. You know, we know all about sex trafficking. We know all about what's going on in this area. And we just want to make sure that you're not a victim. Talking to them with empathy once you stop them, if they're with someone or not. But if they're with someone, you need to separate them. If you can as an officer, if you can separate them and talk to them alone, not in front of the trafficker, do not say to her, I know you're a sex trafficking victim. You say to them, I just want to help you. Can you tell me if you're okay? Yeah, nine times out of 10, the victim will say, yes, I am. But don't stop there. As you can look as an officer, you see that other people in the car may be older than that person. You need to separate her as a victim and you'll get a whole lot more information. Scan her like you're taught to do. 
see if there's any tagging on her that says ownership of anything. And just look at the tattoos that are on her. It will tell you a whole lot that she's unable to say. Thank you so much, Chandra. And thank you so much for everything you're doing. You're a powerhouse. Thank you. I have rescued over 379 girls from sex trafficking. You and I will be I talking. <laughs> of listening to them of how they could have gotten out sooner. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. So question number four, Madison Marquette will answer. And this is from Ansiki and Coco. Does the justice and courts of law do justice to the protection of humankind? We need to unmute you. There, there you go. <laughs> Can you ask the question again? You guys are I sure back can. In. Does the justice and courts of law actually do justice to the protection of humankind? No, not at all. And it kind of goes back to what I was talking about in the first question is there is a lot of corruption, unfortunately, and they're not protecting these girls. And I know even people on this panel who have records that they shouldn't have because they wanted to prosecute us and they wanted their conviction rate to be up so they can get into those political positions and it's like wait a minute here how do we protect everyone that's being trafficked right and it's like yes just kind of um like what was just said is we don't ask, are you a trafficking? Are you being trafficked? It's like, look at those distinctive marks. Is there markings on them? Do they look distressed who you are with? I mean, even like in domestic violence situations, I know that again, at the local level where I'm at is that you can beat the crap out of each other, both of you, and, or he can beat the crap out of the woman. And if there are no marks, on the woman and she has all the internal issues and she scratched him, the woman gets arrested. And so I think it's just even kind of looking for those signs. Is this person internally hurt? Is this person need help? Um, our justice system is just so broken. The criminal justice system is broken. The family courts are broken. Um, trafficking, you know, it wasn't touched on, but a lot of trafficking goes through the foster care system. A large number is through the foster care system and it's pulling and a lot and a lot of people in divorce cases or um, dissolution of marriages will call child services as a form of abuse. And then what happens is that kid gets taken away, that child, and then that child is being trafficked. I've talked to many women that their children, they have back now and have so many issues because they were trafficked through the foster care system. So the justice system is just so entirely broken and we need more lawyers and more police officers that will come forward and say, we need to fight this and we need to change it within because we can do our help, but it's unless there's someone in the inside of the police departments, inside of the judges, inside of the district attorneys, it only takes one to want to make a difference. And until we can find those ones that are powerhouses and will stand behind us, then nothing, they're not going to support us and it's not going to change. So. Absolutely. Thank you so much. The next question is for Deborah Beecham 
from Nsiki and Coco, and it's all ages are vulnerable to trafficking. Does the justice do enough to prevent this? Uh, yes, all ages are vulnerable. And no, I, I we've been touching on that, that um, the, the court system, the judges, just there's not enough accountability for how, um, how people are treated when they come in from domestic violence, you know, whatever the, whatever the crime is or whatever that, whatever instigated the um, court involvement. No, they're not doing enough. And I think um, we, the people need to insist on transparency um, and we're gonna have to keep talking about it to get um, more mechanisms in place. Um, Cause I, I think if the, if the courts, if the judges, if the staff attorneys, if the prosecutors, if everybody involved in the court system believes that there will be a real consequence for mishandling victims, um, I, th I think that's the only way we're going to get it changed. But it, it's a big problem. And this I brought up um, in one of my slides, um, LaQuasia Page is a young mom, single Sing, young single mom, black, gay, disabled, victim of domestic violence. She's been in jail since July of last year with no hearing, no hearing, no adjudication, all of these months in a wheelchair, tremendous amount of pain. She's not able to get the medical care, the physical therapy, everything that she was getting before she was jailed. And her daughter's been dropped into the system so no family member can check on her daughter to know how her daughter's doing. Um, but um, March 5th, hopefully the judge will release her from bond and hopefully the district attorney's office will see that they've got a victim in jail and they need to let her go. And, but this is the conversation we need to keep having is, um, you know, she's one mom, this is one child, but this, I believe that creating a success story for them and others like them will lead to more. You know, I think there are good people in the system who really, there are judges, I've seen it. Judges want to do the right thing. I think they need our support as well. That is a wonderful point, Deborah. They do need our support. They need us backing them 100% and being vocal about it. Yes, thanks. Thank you. The next question is for Ms. Cami Boker. And it is from me. And the question is, what is the best way for someone to get involved in this movement who has had no prior experience? Where do they get educated? And what would be the very best way to serve and volunteer? Hi, uh, yes. Um, Sorry, it kind of broke up a little bit. So where do people get um, involved if they don't have any experience? People ask me all the time, I, you know, I've been studying online, human trafficking's a lot in the, in the media right now. I'm sick about it. You know, people like five years ago, you couldn't say they were human trafficking without people thinking I was completely naughty. Now you talk about it and people are starting to feel this fire. They want to do something. So I get this question a lot. What you, what you can do if you have no experience whatsoever um, is find a local nonprofit organization that is vetted that supports um, that supports trafficking. If you want to um, go to globalep.org, our organization will find a nonprofit in your area that we have vetted, meaning that we know that they're really helping survivors without hurting them, and that the leaders of their organizations have, have survivors, and also um, 
are not um, affiliated with any predators. That's really important to me. So our board of directors runs um, the nonprofits that we associate with through background checks and things like that, and make sure that their fiscal responsibilities are um, upheld. And if you want, so if you want to help, go just click on globalep.org, be a philanthropist with us, sign up to volunteer, and we'll find a spot for you. No matter what city you're in, you can also just gather supplies for outreach. A lot of people on today's meeting, um, you heard, have gone, you know, on to, to different countries have done um, street outreach in their own town. And that's actually how I help get people out um, in some instances is by outreach. So I have, a, there's a list on, on our website, globalep.org of what we need for rescue packs in any city around the world. So if you wanna do something right now, get your family together and get resources. Um, truly, truly, there are people that are homeless, hungry and cold and tired. They need to know that they matter. So we do street outreach um, and or, you know organize that. So that's one way you can, if you're not near my, town near Vegas or near um, we have board members throughout the country um, we can find an organization that will be able to use those resources but that's a way that people can can connect um, if you we're also right now building an army of um, special forces people I'm working throughout the world with high level um, operators if you happen to know a vet or you happen to have some family members that are special forces or have left the um, trafficking world we are um, creating an army a team through a, a, like a global non like a global nonprofit that is just not, they're not going to have a presence online. They're just going to go and then, and do the work. And so um, the training is highly, um, is, is pretty difficult, but if you know anyone in your circle, send them our way, please. We're trying to build a trusted team. So those are some ways um, and volunteers can travel with us. So Thank you, Cammie. you can collect supplies, go online, start a fundraiser so that when we have a victim that needs out, we can give them food and shelter, or you can be trained. There's all sorts of things you can do. Go to Thank you so much, Cami. Question number seven is for Alexa Olivia. Olivia, what happens to the women and children who are rescued? Where do they go? How are they cared for? What do they do? Oh, unfortunately, um, a lot of things that where they can go are what happens to them they're re-victimized right they are um like for me i was arrested i was in jail for over 70 days and then when i got out and went to court and was like i'm going to plead guilty because the crime that i had done had nothing to do with prostitution it had um to do with me writing a bad check from one account to another i got charged with felony burglary and then with luckily the uh, police raided where i was at and because I was supposed to go overseas. Well, when I pled guilty, my family is just as abusive as my traffickers. I was um, molested as a young child. I was raised as a young child by my father. And so I had nowhere to go. And I had reached out to some of these organizations to ask for help and not one of them would help me. They would tell me, know your story, whatever the reason was, they couldn't help me. I, I can tell you, and this, and I've said it a million times, Cami is the first organization that actually helps survivors. And there, and I have called a bunch of them. I think Jess could probably attest to this as well, because she has um, had experience with a lot of them as well, and they do not help us. And so I think where, what happens is we either go 
prostitute ourselves again or and and that's not just by selling ourselves on the street you go find some rich guy that can take care of you you figure out you basically use your skill sets that you had when you were being trafficked to your everyday life and so and these children unfortunately go into the foster care system and then they get trafficked again as well because they are just, it's like re-victimizing over and over. So we really need to start focusing on aftercare for women and children. There's not a lot out there. Thankfully, I found an amazing therapist. Thankfully, I was able to pull myself out of the gutter. And thankfully, when I got out, she's like my mom now. I just love her. She brought me into her home. She said, God told me to bring you into my home. I had a, um, it was an amazing, just peaceful time for me. And people told her not to bring me into her home. That's the other thing where there's issues. People say, oh, don't bring these girls into your home. Don't bring these children into your home because they're broken. Yeah, we are broken, but all we need is that pure love that's not twisted, that you're just loving us through our trauma and our pain. We don't want you to try to therapy us or tell us what we need to do or how we need to be. We just simply need people to be there and through love. And so unfortunately, a lot of these women and children are getting re-victimized because of their situation. And there's not a lot of people out there like Cami's organization, like some of these other organizations that I've heard speak today that actually are making a difference in women and children lives. Thank you. I believe there was, um, Alexa, do you have anything to add to that? There we go. You're, you're muted. There we go. Yeah, it keeps remuting me. <laughs> um, I have never been a victim uh, so I can't come and give you any perspective as being, you know, coming out as being a victim. I just can tell you that I have had the opportunity to save some people from uh, human trafficking. And I went through that journey. Um, and so the first thing that happened was we had four girls hiding out in Central Florida. So we were able, through the people that we met at the Human Trafficking Task Force, build, we built relationships with them. And I was able to call them on a Sunday night at 1130 at night. And uh, we called Department of Children and Families. So they had to separate the group because some were adults and some were minors. And so uh, with the adults, the FBI got involved and they were able to go ahead and place them They through the, the task force, which is why I love the task force. We have different types of law enforcement in there but we also have the NGOs, which are very important. So we have um, immediately someone in, in um, Homeland Security, Arthur, that knows to call around to see if there's any beds anywhere for people, any safety shelters for them to go to. And so more and more uh, for the past couple of years, more people have been joining our task force and training other task force on how we're doing it in South Florida to help victims. So um, I know that it does go into levels and separations. And then of course, through some of these NGOs, there's a lot of different programs that are being implemented. And I'm happy to say that um, our people and um, our agents that we have had the opportunity to be involved with are aware that the victims themselves aren't treated fairly. And that's one of the things that they know absolutely needs to change. And they're advocating for that. And I can tell you that right from the front line. Thank you so much, Alexa. 
And Chandra, you are such a powerhouse in all the people that you have rescued. So I want one final question that I want to submit to you. And it came in in the Q&A and it said, do you ever really get free from these networks? I know with sex trafficking, human and now biomedical, this person says I'm trafficked by three doctors and a hospital. It is so hard to get completely free. The police and medical and even judicial are involved. And what is the age that is most common in human trafficking? Oh, wow. I, um, I don't give a lot of information out on the internet, but I know that this can be a safe place as well as informational. But for that person who's being trafficked by three doctors and some other people, I said, you have to use the method that most of these traffickers are using. And that is the internet get on the internet, find or contact one of us who are here. You can contact me. I can definitely tell you how to get away. But one thing you need to do is to get rid of your cell phone. You need, you need and I can't go into detail, like I said, of how we give you the actual steps of it. But you need to get rid of that cell phone when you get ready to leave. When you're planning to leave, um, you get help from the people who are leading you away and um, we can get you away from them and we can get them prosecuted. But the key point is of getting away from there, which I can't give in detail so it may be falling into the wrong hands of people who may be able to stop that deterrence of them getting away. But you can get away. Please do not feel like you're helpless. There is, there, there is a way and I can help you. Um, the age of usually sex trafficking and what I'm seeing right now is starting as early as 10, mm -hmm. 10. And it's starting early as 10 now compared to three years ago is that the, the past year during this pandemic, we all have been on our... Um, internet, on our um, mobile devices, on computers, and not paying attention to the children. So what are the children left to do? It's to surf the internet. And they're surfing things like TikTok, which is showing them inappropriate dance moves, positions of what they can do. So what are the kids doing now? They're doing that. And those predators are sitting there waiting for the opportunity of a naive child to get on there so that they can pounce, so that they can get into their DM. And I tell parents, this can be the opportunity, especially doing this DM, where an instant message to your child can become your instant nightmare. So pay attention to these kids. There are, there are so many ways that you can limit their internet um, capabilities. There's so many ways you can time their in their internet on on anything, computer or their cell phones. Take responsibility, parents, because you might be that parent sitting in an instant nightmare because of an instant message that came to your child and your child did exactly what it says. Don't tell anyone. Let's keep it a secret. Thank you so much, Chandra. And I'd like to emphasize that she says, reach out to her or reach out to Cami directly and they can help you. They're not putting the details on here, but they can get you the help if you'll reach out. 
Definitely. Cammie, did you have anything to add? Cammie has the last question. Okay. Oh yes, just about the age thing. Um, it, the question was, what is the youngest age or what is the, the most uh, common, commonly seen age or something to that effect? Um, sorry, I, I couldn't hear it. Um, what I've, I've seen as young as two, but I will tell you right now, the target age online is six. If you have a six-year-old child or older, they have viewed pornography. The traffickers have more sophisticated technology than the law enforcement. That is why they're able to get to our children. The target age is six. 13-year-old boys right now are a really hot commodity. There's no, um, it, it, there's not just girls and it's not just boys, it's both. And yes, there are more vulnerable, um, you know, areas or vulnerable behaviors, especially Actually, um, if you're if you were a, like when I was growing up, it was don't talk to the creepy man at the park in that crazy looking van. Now that creepy man in the van lives in our phones, our cell phones and our games, and we don't know a thing about it and we don't talk about it. So I will tell you this, that in my small town, I live in a very, very conservative town. And this is an old number. It's probably about, I think, two years old, maybe three. And I was sitting down with an FBI agent. He said, look at before they took down Backpage. And he's like, in your little town, in one week, 500,000 hits for sex with minors were happening in a very, very small conservative town. So the numbers are pretty staggering, but know that at any given time, a child on a screen has 500,000 predators trying to get to them with very sophisticated technology. So I will tell you that the youngest I've seen is two. Um, I have other operators that have seen younger than two, but personally with my own eyes, I've seen two and it goes all the way up. So just know we need to start safeguarding our kids. Thank you so much, Cami. And this takes care of our Q&A. Back to you, ladies. All right. Thank you so much, everyone. Jeannie, thank you for being the Q&A moderator. We really appreciate you. We thought this was something really important as questions kept coming in as we were building this panel. And so uh, we really appreciate your time. We know Lakeisha had to step away. Uh, so Gigi and I will be closing this out, but I wanted to give, you know, our host, Gigi Regeline, Gigi Sabat, um, the opportunity to invite all of you into the Facebook group, a private group where you can still connect to everyone on this panel. Uh, we want to be sure that you are getting served and resourced. And so for many people uh, that you've heard, the sponsors, you know, we are all here to fill your cups so that you can have the power that you need in your life to be able to see the vision clearly and to be able to live a very fulfilled life. Um, so, Gigi, I'm going to turn it back over to you. Yes, thank you, Melanie. Now, thank you all again for being here today. And thank you to our speakers and our sponsors. After listening from our amazing speakers today, you are truly aware of what human trafficking is. Now again, I encourage you to sign up for our human trafficking discussion group. Thank you all. I'll share the link for our human trafficking discussion group in the chat so you can chat in our private group. And also I'll send you the contact information for the National Human Trafficking Hotline in the chat. Now I will play a human trafficking song before we end with a prayer.
And now we'll end this event with a prayer by Melanie Ake, our master of ceremonies. Thank you, Gigi. Dear God, thank you for the opportunity to share these amazing stories of survivorship. We ask that you protect all of these panelists and everyone that's been listening to this call live or on the replay, that if they're in a situation of doubt or fear, 
that you can be their light to guide them to the right answer, to create that sense of hope in their own life, to follow you, and to be able to create the life that they see for themselves. We honor you and thank you for bringing all of us together to share this journey. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Melanie. And thank you, everyone, for being here today. You all have a blessed day.